This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It's funny, I warned you that this is going to be one of those weeks that didn't feel quite like itself, right? We only had, those of us that were off on Monday, we only had a four-day work week. Doesn't it feel like we had a full week? It does, right? I warned you about that. I I don't know what it is. I'm actually working on putting together a segment on how weird time is and how weird the perception of time is. I'm working on this. And uh, I've been doing a lot of research into this, and I don't necessarily have any answers as to why certain weeks feel a little odd, but they kind of do. All right, last show of the week, first hour of the last show of the week. You know what that means. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. It's question day. Whatever you've got questions about, I will do my best to answer. 800-848-9222. If you have questions about uh, world affairs, foreign policy, pro wrestling, Star Trek, movies, holidays, my family life, my opinion on any subject, you name it. You want to know some inside radio stories? You have a question about uh, something that I was an eyewitness to? You have a question about what my prescription for a certain public policy issue might be? You have a question about, uh, I don't know, really... uh, Las Vegas, Atlantic City, gambling, you name it, Uh, cocktails. There's not many areas that I'm an expert on, but to the extent that I'm an expert on anything, you're welcome to tap into my wisdom. We have one, two, three open lines, but I have to tell you, they are um, unlikely to stay open because uh, this is one of those uh, hours usually where the lines jam up pretty quickly. 800-848-9222. Let me uh, begin by saying hello to David in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, I'll keep it lighthearted uh, today. Okay. Um, I'm curious about, because um, I've asked you about your taste in films before, and this goes along that same theme. Um, what do you consider to be the best sequel of all time of a movie you've actually seen? And what do you think is the worst sequel of all time? Well, the best sequel of all time, uh, obviously there are varying views and it, like anything, it's, it's subjective. But I think if I'm going to pick the best sequel of all time, I have to say it's probably, um, in my opinion, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I absolutely loved uh, Terminator 2. I think uh, that is just uh, just phenomenal. Uh, just a phenomenal film. I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention Star Trek 2 because I think Star Trek 2 was one of those areas where – one of those films where where it's so rare where the sequel is actually better 
than the uh, than the original. So I would say uh, those two come to mind. There's a lot of other good ones. Obviously, Godfather Part Two. You have um, you know a, a number of a number of other good sequels, but the one that most immediately comes to mind is, uh, I think, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. That is such a beautiful film. And I think part of the definition of a good sequel is if it can uh, hold up on its own. And I do think Terminator 2 can hold up uh, on its own. As far as the the worst sequels, there's so many to choose from. Look, uh, uh, Staying Alive as a follow-up to Saturday Night Fever was i mean it's it's that was like going significantly downward in terms of quality uh that that for whatever reason came to mind right away um the, i mean it'd be it'd be a shorter list of good sequels honestly speed 2 speed i actually never saw speed 2 uh, but that's bad. always that always makes the list online yeah. of uh what people think are the, is the worst sequels what what about you dave do you have an answer to each well, I, I thought Godfather 2 was probably the best sequel, although I think you're right about Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. And as far as worse goes, I, don't, I doubt you've seen this because it had such a bad reputation. But Exorcist 2, The Heretic, had to be one of the worst movies ever made and definitely the worst sequel that I've ever seen. You know, it's funny. I actually I, – I don't think I did see it. I think it was on television once um, m- many years ago, and maybe I watched a portion of it. But – I did about 22, about 22 years ago, I attended a talk uh, by William Friedkin, who was the director of The Exorcist and who's a great storyteller. I've been trying to get William Friedkin on this show, and uh, I'm not sure what the uh, not sure what the problem is, maybe because he's older. or The hours are tough. I don't know. But um, he was describing he was not involved in The Exorcist, too. But he was describing how when they did screenings for The Exorcist, too, which he was not in, uh, a part of how uh, the the executives from the studio that produced it, they took a, a car, I don't know if it was limo or just a regular livery cab, to the screening, and uh, they said to the driver, all right, you know, we'll be here for about 90 minutes, two hours, why don't you go out and get a hamburger or something, and, um, you know, we'll be in the theater. So they're in the theater, and within about 10 minutes, the crowd, and this is before the uh, the film is released widely, it's just in test screenings, the crowd is up in arms, booing, hissing loudly at the screen, talking about what an awful movie this is. And one of the people in the crowd actually says, um, the people that made this piece of crap are in the room. And then somebody else points and they're right there. And the crowd, and I'm not joking. I don't know if this is what actually happened, but I I am telling you this is what William Friedkin told me. Um, the crowd starts chasing after these guys from the studio that um, that produced The Exorcist 2. And those guys left the movie theater looking for the car. But because they had just told the guy to go out and get a, uh, a sandwich or something, they, uh, they were not able to find their car right away. I don't think it did turn violent, but it certainly came close to turning violent. Yeah, I've heard that story, and Friedkin tells it very well. He does Thank indeed. You, Frank. Have a good night. Thanks. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Open lines. If you have a question on any subject, let me say hello to Carol in Yonkers. Hello, Carol. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks, Carol. Good, good. Now, I've heard you speak about your cats uh, quite a bit, and I just um, want to know if you have any advice. Um, there is a stray cat that one of my friends was able to um, 
snatch up and get uh, neutered by this outfit, and they release the cat back to my friend's house. Now, I want to take that cat and uh, this week and bring her to the vets, you know, just to get a flea bath and everything before she comes into my house. And hopefully, she seems like a very nice cat, not like scratchy, like she doesn't scratch my friend when my friend goes to feed her outside and everything. She seems very, very nice. But I don't know what's going to happen when I bring her in here. Do you have any advice? I mean, her temperament seems really sweet, but she is feral. Mm. So I'm just hoping that she's going to uh, it's going to be a good fit once she comes into here. See, that's and tough. Hope- uh, that that's tough. Mm. Uh, if you're taking in a feral cat, that's uh, that is tough. We have a cat that my mm. wife took in when I think she was about two months or three months old, and she mm. still is not fully acclimated to to people. Um, Carol, I don't pretend to be a cat expert, but if you have email, if you email me, I'm going to pass this question along to my wife, and I think she may have some more practical advice for you because she's been through this situation a number of times. Do you have email? I do. Okay. I'm I'm going to put you on hold and uh, Kenneth will make sure you have my correct email address. Email me over the weekend and I'll, uh, I'll bring this up with my wife, Rachel. Okay. That'd be great. Okay. I'll hold on and I'll get a pen in the meantime and all that. Thank you so much. Thanks Carol. Thank you. Kenneth, if you would please give Carol my, uh, my, my email address, 800-848- Nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, Frank from the old television Star Trek series. What were the three best female co-stars you ever saw on the series? Ooh, um, let me think here. There's a lot of good ones, and it's funny. There was a, a very good uh, documentary that William Shatner had made. I think it's called Captains. Where and w- there's one scene where he goes to a whole bunch of different Star Trek conventions. And um, it's about 10 years old now. But he there's a montage of him visiting all the Star Trek conventions. And he tells all of these women that they were the – of all the women that have ever been on Star Trek, uh, that they were the most beautiful. Uh, so um, – and you almost believe that he believes it because uh, because there were so many beauties on uh, on Star Trek. I'm trying to think here. Um, there's, there's a lot of good ones. The, the, in terms of, um, the, I'm trying to think what I saw recently that I really enjoyed because I recently actually rewatched, um, the whole, uh, the whole original series. So it's fresh in my, my, my brain. You know who I really enjoyed? Um, the, the actress and her name escapes me. I'm going to have to look it up. But the actress who played um, Lieutenant MacGyver's in the episode Space Seed, who kind of falls for Khan and then, you know, the rest of the story. I thought she so captured the moment. Now, a lot of times you watch those Star Trek episodes and it's not really believable that somebody would become head over heels for someone they've known for five minutes and start making all sorts of irrational decisions. But um, for some reason... She uh, that she pulls it off. Uh, And I really think that was again, I'm going to look up her name because I don't want to I don't want to disrespect for disrespect, disrespect for her. That was a good one. Um, I'm also thinking I don't know if you remember the um, the episode where uh, what are little girls made of? You remember that one? Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, that uh, that she is just terrific in that one. And then the um, 
the other episode uh, that uh, – trying to think here. I'm, I'm really looking at the list of episodes to see what jogs my memory uh, a bit. But uh, one episode that I thought was uh, was very good uh, was the uh, the episode with um, – let's see. Uh, I, you know, I, I talked about the hippie episode and uh, Chekhov's old love interest in that episode was, was good. But that's not the one. I have a spot. How about Spock's wife? She's pretty good looking. Oh, Tapring. Yeah. Well, are we talking about acting ability or are we talking beauty? Beauty. Beauty. You know, look, Yvonne Craig, who is just uh, one of the great beauties of all time, she plays an Orion slave girl in uh, in a season three episode. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Where the, mad, yeah, the, the, the crazy captain takes some hostage. That's on right. Her. That's right. Uh, I like that episode, even though season three kind of gets a bad rap. But um, there, after that, after the original series, th- it became sort of a cliche that an Orion slave girl, they were the sexiest beings on the earth. And that was something that was even established in the Captain Pike episode, The Cage. But uh, you look at Yvonne Craig and the way that she carries on in that episode and kind of the the sultriness that she has about her, I think uh, there's a strong case to be made that they are the sexiest creatures uh, on the earth. Also, um, the two episodes that um, that uh, Dana Mulder was in, I think that, yeah, Diana Mulder, I thought she was very good in both of those. The one where she plays the blind guide of the ambassador and then uh, and then the other episode that she did. I thought she was very good in both of those original series episodes. Yeah, one is called Is There No Truth in Beauty? That's in the third season, too. Yeah, yeah. So I thought uh, so those are those are my picks. But uh, again, if I could think about that a little bit, I might have a better answer. But uh, Yvonne Craig um the uh and the and the others that I mentioned. Those are the ones that most immediately came to mind for me. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. Thomas is in Baltimore. Hello, Thomas. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy New Year. Likewise. Uh yeah, I I listened to your show earlier in the week and you said you were Wanted to chill out and watch the Twilight Zone. I did not get to watch a single episode, but that would have been my okay. preference. Yes. All right. So uh, I'm a big advocate of the Twilight Zone. I get the whole series. I have a marathon every week, every every month. Oh, nice! So every what, month. What, okay, what is, that's great. What is your best episode of the Twilight Zone? Well, look, uh, there are so many great episodes, and the reason I have so associated the uh, the Twilight Zone with New Year's Eve and uh, New Year's Day is because. I um every every year that was my tradition when New Year's Eve would roll around and every year I felt like just when I had seen all all of them I would discover a new episode of the Twilight Zone that I haven't seen so now I have finally seen them all I am a sucker out of the whole series so I I bought the whole series right well that's that that's when watching these uh, New Year's Day marathons really became much less of a priority when I realized that uh, four of the five seasons are available on Netflix and I could have a marathon whenever I wanted. So I, I ended up rewatching the whole series and then a friend of mine had season four, which is not on Netflix, and he lent me the DVDs and I watched those. Um, I, you know, I'm a William Shatner fan, as you know. So I love the William Shatner episode, Nick of Time. And, um, oh, yeah, that was a great one. And I love the... Um, the way that fortune telling dictates his behavior. I've known a lot of people 
who they do that. They allow the horoscope or they allow somebody's prediction about what's going to happen to actually dictate what they're going to do. And I love, first of all, Shatner's great in that episode, but I love the message of that episode, which is that we are essentially all our own uh, the masters of our own destiny. Uh, so I thought that was uh, I thought that was good. I also look. I'm a Jack Warden fan, and I like that episode, The Lonely, because it makes you think a lot about loneliness and how you would do if you were stranded somewhere in uh, some sort of futuristic solitary confinement. I thought that was a, a very clever episode as well. And obviously, all the episodes that get a lot of attention. I of the uh, beholder. My, my best episode was the uh, one with Burgess Meredith. Yeah, uh, time enough at last. Eat. Time enough at last. Huh? Time enough at last. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, after that, that's one that makes you go out and make sure you have an extra pair of glasses. Oh, you know which one I really like? Um, Because I'm a fan of diners and coffee shops, and I like kind of, um, and I know this is weird to say, but I love being stranded somewhere with varying people in a snowstorm or when there's a power outage. That episode, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, where all those guys are stuck in the coffee shop and they're trying to remember and they're trying to figure out who the alien is. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was well done. Yeah, they're a great episode. Great episode. Yeah, that's for okay, sure. Thanks. Thank you, Thomas. You know, it's funny. I did think I had seen all the Twilight Zone episodes. And then about two years ago, I finally saw an episode that I had not seen. And I was certain I'd seen every single one. And I finally see this episode. And it's an episode with George Takei. And George Takei, also, you know, from Star Trek, he plays um, a Japanese person that gets into a few they basically redo world war ii stuck in somebody's attic and i'm thinking about and it's a really well done episode it's very dramatic um it's a little formulaic and it's fine but it was really well done the acting by takei and uh, the other fellows in that episode are are great i'm thinking to myself why did i never see this episode before sure enough i go and look it up afterwards they didn't show it on television for 30 years they, it was not shown on TV because of the uh, racially sensitive nature of it. Now they do show it on TV as part of marathons and things of that nature. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in just a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Paris Hilton singing Stars Are Blind. It is January 6th, which is uh, certainly an ignominious day in recent American history. But in the Morano household, this is uh, my sister Claudia's birthday. So I told uh, Claudia that uh, we would allow her to select all the bumper music that we have the rights to today. So um, there we. This is one of the songs that uh, that she selected. You know, I just got a tweet here. You could find me on Twitter at Frank Morano, uh, who said, "How you know what about Joan Collins? Joan Collins in a City on the Edge of Forever? Of course, uh, Joan Collins is absolutely in my top three, both for acting ability and for beauty's sake. That's why a question like that." I really need to review before the show so that I could think not in real time. So I, I could take five minutes and take a jog my memory and think about some of the other stars that we've uh, that we've seen. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Peter is in Harlem. Hello, Peter. Yes, Frank. Forgive me. Uh, I forgive you. N- nothing's. Nothing's perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time, I'm a talk, a talk show junkie. I would leave parties to come home and listen to certain hosts through the last 40 or 50 years. Who would you leave a party for to listen to them on the radio? Do you get my question? Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, basically, who's appointment listening? Who would I stop whatever I was doing to make sure I could listen to? Yeah. All right. Uh, there's a few. There's a few, and at different times. Like for instance, um, in the mid in the mid to late '90s, I would uh, stop whatever I was doing uh, to find Rush Limbaugh, but I would not have done that um, in the mid. You know, in 2010. You know, it was a different different show at that point, and not one that I would alter my day to make sure I could listen to. But at different times, it was um, Rush Limbaugh, Bob Grant, Jay Diamond, uh, Tom Likas. Howard Stern, uh, those are the five uh, that most immediately come to mind. Uh, those are the five that I do really remember uh, working my day around trying to listen to them. And I, I had to, when when Tom Likas was on in New York, I had to carry a transistor radio with me uh, wherever I was just so I could make sure that I heard the, um, you know, the entirety of his New York broadcast. And in New York, when he was on WNEW, this is going back about 20 years, they um, started him at 2 p.m. Eastern, which would mean that I would miss the last hour of Rush. Now, I never, ever imagined that I would uh, tune out and miss the last hour of Rush. But I found Lycus so compelling and so interesting that I uh, that I had to. So those are those are the five that most immediately come to mind. There are others, I'm sure. But those are the uh, you're talking. Stop what you're doing no matter what, wherever you happen to be, you got to listen. Those are the ones. There are other great talk show hosts out there that I didn't mention. Um, certainly, you know, both on the air now and throughout history. But those are the ones that you have to, everyone, stop what you're doing. You got to turn up the radio and listen to these folks. 800 848 We are in the midst of. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever your questions are, now's the time to ask them. All right. uh, Let me say hello to Robert in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Robert. Hi, TGIF. Hey, indeed. Thank God it's Frank. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, Do you make your own pasta sauce? 
I generally don't. I have, uh, but I am the beneficiary of uh, being uh, invited over for a lot of good Sunday meals. And uh, I always generally get some uh, some pasta sauce to take home. And I'll be honest, during the week, I try to uh, stay away from carbs and try to avoid pasta. But I always have some pasta sauce at home. And um, I do find that the Michaels of Brooklyn sauce is a, a pretty a, a pretty good alternative to homemade sauce. So I I, uh, I generally don't. I have, but I don't routinely. My brother Alexander, he's a whiz at making his own pasta sauce. He's very good, but I have to confess, I generally don't. Uh, which I'm sure my uh, grandmother, if she's listening in heaven, she's just mortified hearing that. But no, I generally don't. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know how we do it. Have you ever been to Vegas? What's Ted like behind closed doors? How do you cope knowing the universe is infinite, but your consciousness can end in a second? I've been to Vegas many times. One night is good. Two nights is perfect. Three is too many. Ted is a man. Just a man. And as for the fragility of life, I'm so glad someone finally asked. Because, yeah, I got a few thoughts. Enzo. In conclusion, if this is all indeed a simulation, which everything in my experience suggests that it is, then all we can do is tip our caps to the rascal pulling the strings. So we're prepared to tackle any question that you're genuinely curious about. Uh, you could save trivia questions for another time, right? You don't want to say, uh, I I mean, you could ask if you want, but I just don't think it's very interesting to show how much you know more than everybody else, right? So uh, if you have something that you're genuinely interested in and genuinely curious about, now's the time to ask it. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Igor in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, uh, first thing I want to say, congratulations on your uh, ratings. That Thank you. Got. you. Sounds Thank like you very much. A one-way trip up, which is spectacular. Thank I you. I hope you stay in the overnight and that Sid doesn't steal you for the morning show. <laughs> don't worry. I, I don't think uh, I don't think either Sid or me are are looking to make that change. But thank you. I appreciate. Okay. That. All right. Very good. So, Frank, I want to ask you a little bit about ratings uh, as it relates to stations that maybe have comparable program on the AM, their AM broadcast as well as FM. I was wondering if you had any sense for uh, sort of a two-part question. WINS, uh, you know, went to 92.3 FM. I was wondering if you you were aware of whether or not their ratings went up as a result and how much they may have gone up. Yeah, I don't. Second thing, in markets, um, I apologize, Mark, uh, 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 in markets, um, which there are things like talk radio that people don't necessarily at one time believe that FM would enhance because it's only voice. In markets that have comparable programming on AM versus FM, how much does a talk uh, talk program on FM do to a ratings boost? Well, when you say comparable programming, are you talking comparable programming or are you talking identical programming? Because those are two very different things. I'll say identical, Frank. Yeah, So it it honestly depends uh, market to market, right? Um, The wind situation uh, is interesting. So they have not had uh, a whole month that's been measured by the ratings under uh, under since they've been doing that simulcast. So I don't have an answer for you there. But uh, my guess is that it's going to help their ratings a bit. 
But uh, I think a lot of that audience is probably going to come from the other all-news station, CBS uh, 880. I-, I don't have information, quite frankly, on uh, on other markets that do a simulcast on AM and FM. And in New York, we've not really seen anything like that. I mean, on, on uh, WABC in New York, we do that with uh, 107.1 FM on Long Island, and it does help. But um, really what I've found is it helps – People that would already want to listen to the station hear the station a bit more easily. So I'm skeptical about what it's going to mean for a um, ratings boost for wins. But we'll know for sure next month. We'll see. 800-848-9222. Ed is on Staten Island. Hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. I hope uh, your young son feels better. Thank you. Appreciate it. Listen, I have questions about two African nations. Was... Was the assassination of, of Gaddafi good or bad for Libya? And are you aware of what's going on in the condo, uh, Congo and in mining cobalt? I'll uh, take my answer off the air. Yeah, thank you. I'm not up on the co- cobalt situation other than to know that there is a cobalt situation. So I'm not going to pretend that I am. My view is that the assassination of Gaddafi was – I don't know if it was bad for Libya. I think it probably was. I'll tell you who I think it was bad for. I think it was bad for the United States. I think, uh, and Barack Obama, who's not known for humility, he even admitted that one of his greatest failures as president was after they took out Gaddafi, they didn't have a plan for what happens next. And um, if you look at what Gaddafi was warning the world about, he was saying that the people that were, uh, that were trying to take him out were Qaeda. Right. He was saying they were Al Qaeda and they were. So we take out Gaddafi. Right. Well, along with the our, um, you know, our, our allies and basically Libya becomes a failed state. And I, I think it might have been President Trump that used this term. Uh, I'll appropriate it, whether he used it or not. It has become Harvard for terrorists. Libya is a magnet for terrorist groups around the world. Because And again, I'm not sure of the individual quality of life for people of Libya. I can't speak to that. I think um, Gaddafi was a guy that was uh, very tough on Islamic terrorists that would have joined groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS because they were against him. And so I'm not saying that uh, this is, uh, you know, I'm not saying that he's a model of Jeffersonian democracy. He wasn't. But you know what? Um, you know what Gaddafi would do with Al Qaeda terrorists or ISIS terrorists? He would kill them. You know what happens to uh, Al Qaeda terrorists in Libya now? They have a good shot at getting enough people to be part of their little militia to take over a big portion of the country. And there's a reason that the Libyans are thinking about electing. If they have anything resembling a fair election, which in a state like Libya, where I think they're still claiming to have two different capitals over there. Um, in a state like in a country like Libya, they're considering electing Gaddafi's son because I think a lot of the rank and file Libyans say, wait a minute, we hated Gaddafi. But these guys that are in charge now are so much worse. And you ask yourself the question, you know, so much was made of Benghazi and the failure, the security failures, the failure of the United States to act. And I think those are all fair questions. But the question that people like Senator, former Senator Jim Webb were asking well, with respect to the Benghazi attack is the appropriateness of American intervention in the first place. What did America gain by taking out Muammar Gaddafi? What did we gain? 
So uh, I I don't think the assassination of Gaddafi was good for the Libyans, but I know it wasn't good for the United States. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. How's it going, Frank? It's going okay. Thanks. Frank, I wanted to ask you, uh, you said earlier that uh, you thought the Rush Limbaugh show was very different from the mid to late 90s to 2010. And I wanted to ask you what you thought the difference was. Well, I think there are a variety of factors, right? I mean, first, you got to keep in mind that uh, the longer someone's on the air, uh, the more the sensibilities of the world change, right? And so you don't always keep up with them. I'm not going to, you know, people smarter than me, and I've asked many of them, including John Minnelli, including uh, Brian Rosenwald, who wrote the best book on talk radio that there is, why, you know, Rush's show degraded, in my judgment, degraded, over the years, and I think part of the reason is, and this is just my view, and look, Rush at his worst is still better than a lot of these uh, hosts today at their best, but my view is a few factors. One, when Rush first came to New York, he would go out to dinner, he would go out for drinks, he would go uh, uh, hang out with Mark Simone and go to Elaine's, he would be, you know, uh, he would be exposed to people, he would hear jokes, he would hear perspectives. Um, the When Rush stopped coming to New York, he was coming through a service elevator uh, in our old building so that he wouldn't be exposed to any other people. So I think part of it was that Rush um, became so successful. And I think this happens with a lot of very successful people, not just talk show hosts, but comedians, actors, writers, others. Rush um, became so successful and so wealthy and so well-known that he came to live in a bubble. So when you are in a bubble and you don't hear alternative points of view and you don't hear people gossiping in the hallway at the place where you work, um, that does, I think, make it much more difficult for you to entertain those same people that you're no longer interacting with. And Rush, uh, mostly towards the last you know 20 years of his career, did show almost exclusively from home. And when he did do it from a radio station, he, it was very, there were very few people that he would ever interact with. So he was not interacting with the Vox Populi in his personal life. And I think it made it much more difficult for him to um, know how to entertain them the way that he did previously. Part of it is also, I think, a victim of his own success in that um, Rush uh, became so big and was carried on so many stations and was such a hit everywhere that I think at some point, you know, the saying goes, you buy your own press releases. Rush started to take himself way too seriously. He was much less self-deprecating. He was much less willing to experiment. He was much, uh, when he first started in national syndication, he was always up for pushing the envelope. Um, I think you saw a lot less of that. You know, a rush towards the end of his career, almost every show was three hours of politics. Now, the beginning of his career, that was not the case. I mean, he would still do Open Line Friday toward the end, but so many of the questions tended to be about politics. When Rush first started in national syndication, he would go on and on about uh, uh, about uh, golf, about baseball, about the NFL, about uh, adult beverages. He would go on and on about uh, how come more fish don't die when uh, when lightning strikes the the um, the water. He would go on and on about uh, interesting fortune cookies that he'd read and that that whole element of uh, being silly being self-deprecating so much of that had diminished by the time that he that he um, was towards the end of his career also 
The fact that um, he he had his best years during the Clinton era, Clinton was such a wonderful thing for Rush as a foil because it's so much easier to poke fun and to be a critic when you're in the opposition. Now, in the eight years of the Bush administration, especially for uh, a number of those years having a Republican Congress as well, it's your guy is in power and your party is in power. So it's much more difficult when your party is in power to be a critic and making fun of everybody. You know, when you're mocking Tom Daschle, the Senate minority leader, it doesn't have the same sort of resonance with people as when you're making fun of uh, of the president. So I think the the fundamental problem is uh, is Rush just became less accustomed to interacting with people. And I think people's tastes change over time. What was revolutionary in 1994 uh, was all of a sudden by uh, 2017 uh, was copied by everybody. So uh, when Rush first came on the scene, there was nobody like Rush, uh, especially nationally. But by the time that Rush ended his career, there were, you know, a dozen Rush imitators in every city. At least that's my take. I hope that's uh, thorough enough. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Vicky is in West Virginia. Hello, Vicky. Well, hi, Frank. Hi. I have a question. This question is about a law. I, can't, I don't know the name of I want to know the name of this law that was passed after World War II, and it stated that the government in the United States was not allowed to lie to the public. You know, and then I'm... when Barack Obama was president, he amended that law so that now the government is allowed to lie to the people. You know, I am not up on that at, at all. Uh, I'll be honest. I've never I've never heard of that. Um, I heard somebody talking about it last night. and I was shocked. Yeah, that's and news that, to me. If you uh, if you find out uh, about that, something. you got to let me know. Something. It's, it's a hyphenated word, Smith something. So it had to be two names after World War II. Yeah. Um, well, there's something called the Smith-Mund Act. Um, it, I don't know if that's what you're talking about. That but, must be it, Frank. But that was uh, developed to regulate broadcasting of programs for foreign audiences produced under the guidance of the State Department. And it prohibited... Um, dissemination of materials produced by such programs. Um, so the original version of the act, uh, and it, yeah, it was amended in 2012. I'm looking this up now. Uh, it, it allowed for materials produced by the State Department and uh, to be disseminated widely within the United States. So I think that's probably what you're talking about. But honestly, I am not an expert on that, Vicky. It sounds interesting. I'll, I'll look into it. I don't know a lot about it other than now that it's called the Smith-Mund Act. But uh, I wish I could be more helpful or more insightful. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
I, 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 you know, I like Barry White. Certainly, he's got a great voice. I, I kind of hate this song. Uh, this is one of those songs that's just overplayed, as far as I'm concerned. However, uh, because I am a wonderful big brother, I have uh, allowed my sister Claudia, whose birthday it is today, to uh, pick all of the bumper music that we are going to play on the show. At least all the music that we have the rights to. So we'll see We'll see where it goes. This is one of her selections. There you have it. All right. We are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. anything. Answering your questions on any subject, whatever you have questions about, I will do my best to answer. And we actually have one open line right now, uh, which is very rare uh, during this hour. So uh, you can try and claim that very quickly at 800-848-9222. Let me go uh, to Denny in Los Angeles. Hello, Denny. Yeah, hi. Uh, hi. Whatever happened to Jay Diamond? I, I just He was so extraordinary and so talented. And he just disappeared. Yeah, I still talk to Jay. I mean, he was on a number of uh, a number of great radio stations in New York. He was also on WRKO in Boston on Saturday nights, and uh, he was on. Um, you know, he was on as a fill-in for Alan Combs on his radio show. I, I um I I think now he really doesn't want anything to do with talk radio. I don't want to speak for him, but I've invited him on this program many times, and um, he has uh, not wanted to come on. Uh, and I think he's just kind of frustrated with where talk radio is these days. But uh, I'll tell you what. He, if, he, yeah. No, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt your interruption. No, I don't, he, yes, he went through some kind of epiphany because he was – he started going very left. And well, he is very left wing, and he he says that he was always that way, uh, but that the audience just perceived him differently because of the issues that he was talking about at the uh, at the time. But these days, there's no doubt about it. He's very left wing, but he's very as concerned as anybody else is about the issue of uh, of crime. And when people would say to Jay when he would go on WEVD or WOR or other radio stations over the years, "Hey, how come you became a conservative?" Um, and if he ever comes on this show as himself rather than in character, I'll ask him the same question because so many people ask me. And what he would always say is, look, if you listen back to those shows when I was on WABC, when everyone thought I was a right winger, you listen to um, all of my commentary on every single issue of labor. I always sided with labor over management. He said, uh, I also uh, opposed the balanced budget amendment at a time when no one else did. I was one of the first people ever to call for universal health care. But what Jay says is that because of the racial arsonists that were trying to hold New York hostage at the time, people like Al Sharpton and others, and because Jay was willing to stand up to them, people perceived that he was uh, that he was uh, conservative. Uh, but uh, I, I think look, if I had a radio station, um, I would uh, I would break I would I would empty my bank account to hire Jay Diamond, because I, in my view, he's just one of the great all time talents that has ever spoken. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Al in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Good morning, Frank. You know, Frank, just this morning I saw a quick clip of an interview of Mike Lawler, the new congressman from northern Westchester, and he was criticizing the Freedom Caucus and members who 
don't want Kevin McCarthy. A lot of these individuals actually believe in something. They believe in... Uh, so what's your question, you know, Al? I, I want to get questions here. Questions. Exactly. No, my question is, uh, if you saw the guy on on the TV in the interview, you'd think he's been there for 10 years as a congressman. He hasn't even been there 10 days, and he's blasting uh, these members. All right. Thank freedom. you, Al. Guys, what we want here is questions, right? We don't want a whole lengthy commentary and, and as an excuse for you to pontificate. Really? I, I mean... Uh, I I I got to tell you, I'm a little, I, I'm in a bit of a mood today. I got to tell you, I I, uh, I got a lot going on at home. I got a lot of demands of of me and my personal life, and everyone's just just uh, trying my patience in the last 24 hours. So today's not the day to do that. I'm telling you. So if you have a question, I'm happy to answer it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Jack is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jack. Hey, Frank, how are you? Great. How are you, Jack? I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I'm so sorry you're stressed out today. No, no, no. You know, I'm not that stressed out. Uh, it's um, it's just I have a lot going on. I just, It's one of those days where I have a lot going on. Life is being life. That's what I call it. Right. Life is just being a thing. Listen, I live in New York, and uh, I'm just an overall New York sports fan, so I'm just, inter- I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm going to ask you. Yankees, Mets, which one? Giants, uh, Jets, which one? Uh, Mets, Mets, which one? Uh, Mets strongly. Mets strongly. I I root for both the Giants and Jets, and um, I know that's sacrilege to a lot of people. I, I root for both to make the yeah, playoffs. When they, uh, you know, in my view, though, they're both New Jersey teams. They're not New York teams. So uh, I'm, I don't, uh, neither one of them breaks my heart. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but if I had to pick a team, it would probably be the Knicks. I wasn't crazy about how they used eminent domain to build that stadium for the Nets. And uh, I'm not a big hockey fan, but if I had to pick a hockey team, it would be the Rangers. Thank you, Jack. 800-848-9222. Martin is in Brooklyn. Hello, Martin. Uh, hi, I'm from I'm calling from from uh, Brooklyn. I was wondering about um, term limits. They're talking about that now. They want to get a vote for it. You obviously work with the Reform Party. How many term limits do you think members of the House should get? They're talking about three. I think three might be too little. How many uh, terms do you think they should be able to do? Uh, I, in my view, if I were writing the law or writing the constitutional amendment, it would be 12 years. I think uh, I, I like 12 years for the Senate. I like 12 years for the Congress. Twelve years, so that'll be six terms each, right? Uh, six terms in the House, two terms in the Senate. Yes. Very interesting. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Martin. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. But I mean, I'm flexible on that, right? If you want to talk about, you know, ten years or fourteen years, I'm, I could go that way too. Uh, but I think twelve years is it's a good enough time. It's a good enough amount of time to get seasoned. So that you know where the bathroom is, you know how uh, to work the legislative process, but you don't necessarily get spoiled. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this. Whoever comes up with the best question this hour in the eyes of Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth, we're going to give you a, uh, a prize. So we prize creativity. So if you have a creative question, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, that's 800-848-9222. We only have five minutes left, so call quickly. Uh, Ping is in Piscataway. Hello, Ping. Uh, good evening, Frank. Hi. My question is more of a later a hypothetical nature. Great. So, Great. space aliens have been monitoring your broadcast, and since you're an authority on them, mm-hmm. they come to you with this. Now, they're coming to Earth, and they're asking you to set up a protocol to prevent, like, a global panic from, you know, the humans seeing them. But they're, like, indistinguishable from humans, except for, like, uh, 
you know, from a medical nature, you could tell the difference. What protocols would you put into place to prevent, like, a global panic of the world being, you know, bombarded with, you know, space aliens and amongst them? Uh, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I really follow the question. So you, the aliens want a protocol. They, they want they want to come to Earth, mm-hmm. but they don't want to cause a panic amongst the humans. So what protocols, like, what would you do to put in place to prevent, like, the humans going into a panic when they find out that there are actually aliens amongst them? Huh. Um, it's a good question. I, I guess I, the, the thing that I just can't wrap my head around is if they look like humans in your scenario, why would well, – why like one gets hit with a car and they have different colored blood or something of that nature, then all of a sudden it gets out on YouTube and, you know, people go around – now, hunting down people who they might assume are aliens or, you know, something like that. I see. I see. Uh, you know, it's a good one, Ping. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for that that I can I, that I could come up with uh, at the moment. That's another one of those ones that if people can give me before the show, it would give me a little time to to think about. I'm sorry. I don't have uh, I don't have one on that. 800-848-9222. Michael is in Queens. Hello, Michael. Hey, Frank. Okay, my question is about sexuality Mm -hmm. and evolving historical ideas about it. I think we generally know that in the ancient world, there was no such term as homosexuality, bisexuality, etc. Now we have so many categories. Is that a good thing, a bad thing? And how do we get to this place? You know, I'm a big believer, Michael, in um, whatever works for you, right? So if you're happier being uh, pansexual, uh, there, uh, Andrew Cuomo's daughter is some sexuality that I had not even heard of until she said that she was that. So if you want to be bisexual, homosexual, heterosexual, trisexual, pansexual, transsexual, I'm I'm of the belief that whatever floats your boat, as long as you don't hurt anybody, that's great. Uh, How did we okay. get here? Okay. I, I think um, yeah. I, I think it's a combination yeah. of a variety of factors, including maybe more of a willingness to talk about sexuality and uh, that, uh, you know, society's norms don't necessarily don't necessarily fit in for uh, for everybody. All right. Uh, and finally, let me say uh, say hello to Eric in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, hey, Frank. Um, you had spoken about a similar case not too long ago. Um, you know about, you know, of course, you know about the murders of these four kids, the, the stabbings. Um, I had heard that they only found uh, they only found him because the parents had gone on 23andMe. I was wondering if you've heard about that. I, I have, um, and that's actually going to be the subject of my monologue at the top of the oh, next hour. Awesome. So I'm going to – I'm not going to limit it to a 40-second response. I am going to uh, talk about that in uh, at great length in uh, in just a moment. And then uh, lastly, Joe in Manhattan. Can you make it quick? We've got about 40 seconds. Okay. Oh, all right. Listen. Uh one second, getting off the speaker. Sorry about okay, that. Okay, got about twenty seconds uh, left, Joe. All right, twenty seconds. Name me one movie, black and white, or, well, or colorized, nineteen forties film noir. You know they don't make those movies any longer. That you, you, Rachel, have viewed recently. Uh, th- uh, thank you. You know, in terms of film noir, a film that I love in that era is Sorry, Wrong Number. Um, one that uh, Rachel and I watched, it's not really film noir, but was black and white, is uh, The Lost Weekend. I think she can empathize with what it's like to be uh, involved with a drunkard. Best question, Matt Blaze? 
Ping Piscataway ping. about the aliens. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't have a better answer, but That's Ping right. and Piscataway, it was a great question about aliens. Call back. We're going to give you a prize. 800-848-9222. DNA, should you be giving it away? Well, uh, I'm guessing the Idaho killer thinks not. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It seems like almost a certitude at this a certainty I should say that Brian Koberger is the person that uh, viciously murdered four innocent college students in uh, Idaho in a particularly gruesome way and uh, this is a, a particular a really unique type of monster that could ever commit this sort of a crime like this as far as I'm concerned and if you look at the what's going on here, it's going to be very interesting to see where this case goes. It looks to me like they have them dead to rights, right? I mean, we'll see what happens. But, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of surveillance footage tying him to the scene. And uh, he is I, – I don't think he has much of a leg to stand on. But it was interesting to me how they first nailed him as a suspect. The suspect in the murder of these four University of Idaho students was arrested with the help of genealogical DNA testing. Brian Kohlberger, 28 years old, criminology student, was arrested by the FBI and officers of the Pennsylvania State Police near the Poconos. And in a press conference, the Moscow police in Idaho, not Russia, said that more information about the circumstances leading up to the arrest would be released once Koberger appears in court. It's now been revealed that the breakthrough in this case that was unsolved for over a month came after a process called genetic genealogy led investigators to Koberger. So sources with knowledge of the investigation have told CNN that the unidentified DNA evidence was run through a public database to find potential family member matches. The DNA testing was followed by subsequent investigative work by detectives to arrest Koberger as a suspect. Look, I, I am thrilled that they caught this guy. I hope he is uh, never free again. I'm not a believer in capital punishment, but if I were, this person is a poster child for someone that probably deserves the death penalty. That being said, I find this so incredibly frightening. I have been watching this for years, really since they caught the Golden State Killer. Now, that was a little bit different. That was a cold case. And um, that was a case that was 25 years old, and they were able to catch that Golden State killer through relatives of his um, giving DNA to one of these consumer 
genetic testing websites. These DNA testing websites are very popular. They're all over the place. You have 23andMe, that's a popular one. Ancestry.com is a popular one. I think there's I think there's about a dozen of them now. All have different things that they offer, all have different attributes. I got this about uh, five years ago for my wife for Christmas. We weren't married at the time, but I thought she would be interested in it, and she was. And it, she got to meet, I talked about this yesterday, she got to meet her aunt that she didn't know about for the first time, her father's sister, who she had no idea about. She met her for the first time. And I recognize the uh, the value to this. My stepmother, you know what she found out? She did the uh, 23andMe. You know what she found out? The person that she grew up always believing was her older brother was, uh, in actuality, her uncle. Imagine that. So uh, that's a separate story, and it's an interesting one. So I recognize that you can learn a lot from these DNA testing websites, and I know it's interesting, right? And I'm interested in them. But when I saw the Golden State Killer caught through this DNA testing, I said, that's it. I am not giving my DNA away voluntarily to any stranger. Because the more research I did, the more I found how you don't know what they're going to do with your DNA when they get it. You don't know if they're – and even if the people that are in charge of these companies now and they claim they'll honor your wishes about privacy, please, or anything else – you don't know what's going to happen to that DNA sample if this company gets sold or broken up or spun off to another division. You don't know if they're going to sell your DNA to pharmaceutical companies so that these pharmaceutical companies can market you drugs for diseases that you may have a genetic predisposition for. You don't know uh, if they're going to use your DNA, which you're paying them to take. They're going to use that to do broader research into something. There are just too many variables about how they can do things with your DNA without your permission and without your consent. Now, Let's talk about the law enforcement angle. Whenever I bring up the law, the uh, Golden State Killer situation, uh, I, I always say, look, I think it's great that they caught the Golden State Killer, and I feel the same way about this Idaho person. But I don't want to give my DNA away, and one day my sister's uh, grandson has a, an, an, an issue. He gets jammed up somehow, and I have helped the police catch him because of my DNA sample. And you know what? To a person, almost everybody says, you know what? If uh, Then he shouldn't be committing a crime. I get that, right? What worries me is the slippery slope. Is it starts with cold case murders. We use the DNA testing for the cold case murders. And then it goes to recent murders. Okay. Then it goes from recent murders to rapes. Okay. We still we don't like rapists. We can catch them with that. Then it goes from rapists to people that are committing felonious assault. Okay, well, felonious assault can sometimes be a little bit of a gray area. Then it goes from people that are committing felonious assault to people that are committing a, a bank robbery. Okay, then it goes from people that are committing a bank robbery to people that are rioting at the nation's capital on January 6th. And then eventually it becomes a situation where they're able to catch anybody through DNA because they've had a family member 
voluntarily give their DNA up to this this private company. Now, I, I have a few problems with this, right? I'm a big believer in the Bill of Rights. And if you look beyond uh, the uh, beyond the First Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, and the Tenth Amendment, almost everything in the Bill of Rights has to do with protections against prosecution. That was an issue that was important to the Founding Fathers for a reason. Things like uh, a right to an indictment, things like uh, trial by jury, things like a grand jury, things like protections against self-incrimination. These were paramount concerns to our founding fathers and with good reason because they had seen they had just come out of a government where the government could basically arrest anybody they wanted for any reason and i fear that we may be getting there you know there's an interesting book i think it's by harvey silverglade it's called three felonies a day and in this book silverglade makes the point that just in the normal course of our day he's exaggerating a little bit but only a little in the normal course of a day we all probably commit Three things that could be considered felonies. And I just don't like having private companies do the work of law enforcement agencies. You know what I like? And I'm all for law enforcement. But you know what I like with respect to law enforcement? I like there's a crime. We look for the evidence related to the crime. And then we follow the breadcrumbs of that evidence and make arrests. I don't like... A private company so in bed with a law enforcement agency because, again, it may start with the FBI, it may then go to the police, and then it'll become the IRS before you know it. They're so in bed with a law enforcement agency that these law enforcement agencies have essentially unfettered access to the records of a private company so much so that they're using that to circumvent the Bill of Rights. There's a reason that you're supposed to get a search warrant before getting someone's DNA or someone's blood. There's a reason, or being able to search their property, right? There's a reason the Fourth Amendment prevents search and seizure without warrant. If you can just go to this DNA company and say, well, we don't have a warrant, but we're going to look through your DNA database to see if anything matches this, I think that really encroaches on the, the spirit of the Fourth Amendment. So we have seen, after the Golden State Killer, police across the country uploading crime scene DNA to something called GED Match and other databases where purchasers of genetic testing kits, and that's what's so amazing to me, is we're paying for the privilege of having our family members arrested if they commit crimes. The... the Purchasers of genetic testing kits from companies like 23andMe and Ancestry can share their DNA in the hopes of finding a long-lost relative. Arrests, this is a couple of years ago, I'm going to read this. I imagine it's far more than the number I'm going to uh, mention. But as of a couple of years ago, arrests had been made in dozens of cases, many that had been considered cold. Advocates of the practice tout the ability to find people who committed horrible crimes and exonerate those who did not. For instance, Anne Marie Schubert was the independent district attorney of Sacramento County. She said, I believe 100% that DNA is the greatest tool ever given to law enforcement to find the truth, whatever that is. But law enforcement's use of the DNA databases has opened another front in this battle over digital privacy. Should third parties 
in this case the police, have access to personal data people generate by using consumer technology? And should investigators be allowed to use the technique to solve all crimes or only the most violent ones? Um, Americans are really divided on this, and I am in the category that we need some guardrails on this. I think we need some strict prohibitions on what the police and other law enforcement agencies are allowed to look at when it comes to these DNA testing agencies. Um, According to a recent study by the Pew Research Center, they found that 48% of adults were okay with DNA testing companies sharing consumers' genetic data with police. And a third said it was unacceptable. I'm in the third. And 18% are unsure. Natalie Ram it was, it was an associate professor of law at the University of Maryland. She said, what we have right now, we can call the Wild West. There aren't a lot of rules on the ground. State legislatures are one of the best situated bodies to engage in rulemaking in this area. And lawmakers are starting to do that. We saw a state representative in Utah introduce a bill that would ban genetic genealogy searches by police. A Maryland lawmaker introduced a bill to regulate searches. Um, In New York, a state senator, this hasn't passed, but in New York, a state senator proposed a policy to allow the searches. A Washington state proposal would allow only searches requested through a valid legal process. So I am very skeptical of uh, of this whole thing. What happened with... um, Look, it's clearly what happened with the Golden State Killer. It's great closure for the victims. Same thing with with Idaho. But I just wonder about the slippery slope and how many crimes we're going to start using searching these genealogical databases for. What do you think? Do you share my skepticism? Do you share my concerns about privacy? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The Utah bill would bar law enforcement from performing genetic genealogy searches in com- in um, consumer databases. Michael Melendez, who I actually reached out to to see if he wanted to come on the show to talk about this subject today, but I'm so behind in my email, I have no idea if he wrote back to me or not. I, by the way, if anybody wrote to me today, I'm still trying to catch up from my email being disabled, it's been a nightmare. We'll t- tell you more about that later. But uh, So I have no idea if he wrote me back about coming on. But Michael Melendez, he's the policy director of something called the Libertas Institute, which is a free market think tank in Utah that helped these guys craft the bill. And he said, and I agree with him, traditional consent and warrant models don't apply to DNA databases. He's right. He's right. We essentially need a new digital DNA Bill of Rights. And our current laws are not caught up with where the technology is. Uh, Melendez said, you won't see a warrant for an entire town to knock on everyone's door and search everyone's house. In the same sense, with a digital DNA database, we don't believe you can go in and just get a warrant to do a mass search. And that is the fundamental issue as far as I'm concerned. If you suspect someone, you got to go and get a warrant and then look in their house for evidence. This is essentially, without a warrant, giving you access to the whole town. And I have a big problem with that. You know, it was uh, Benjamin Franklin raised civil liberties concerns 
first during the uh, Revolutionary War, the uh, independence debate, and then a little bit later during the constitutional debate. And he made that uh, very famous quote, and I think it's as true today as it was in 1776 and in 1787, when he said, those who would sacrifice liberty for some temporary security deserve neither liberty nor security. And my concern is that law enforcement is so eager to use every tool they have at their disposal, including these DNA genetic testing sites. And my concern is that people are so eager to go catch bad guys that we're forgetting about the civil liberties that we fought so hard for to get in the Bill of Rights in the first place. 800-848-9222. We haven't even talked about the business, the healthcare, the consumer implications of this. This has just been a law enforcement conversation so far. Now, there are some topics that we do where I realize, you know, maybe half the people agree with me, half the people don't. Some areas where I think, all right, 90% of the audience is going to agree with me. This is one of those areas where I recognize maybe nobody agrees with me. I don't care. I gave you my two cents, and now you can let me have it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Kathy is in Manhattan. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Frank. Happy New Year. Likewise. Um, speaking of these genealogy websites, I watched this. Uh, remember the Grim Sleeper? The Grim Sleeper? I actually don't. Grim Sleeper. He was like a serial killer, and he started doing killing these women in the 70s, and he uh, his, he ended up they ended up finding him through a genealogy website. His son came up on it, and then they traced it back to him, and they got him with a slice of pizza and matched up. But he was like killing for thirty years or so. So in this case, it's like they were at a dead end, and he was still killing. I mean, he wasn't stopping. It, dozens of women, at least uh, in horrible ways, and in left in alleys and. Underneath mattresses and just just uh, uh, you know they caught him. So I mean, in that respect, like all these people were dying, and um, I don't know. I felt like that was okay. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to be in the position of defending serial killers. Uh, you know, yeah, you- my concern, Kathy, quite frankly, is. That there are so few guardrails on this, and what's next, right? So, how soon before we go from the Grim Sleeper and the Golden State Killer to catching the guy with the horns uh, at the Capitol on January sixth? I know, I get that. I, I, I just, uh, I find it fascinating that they they could go that far and and really come up with somebody after all that time. It is interesting. Uh, it is interesting, yeah. Kathy. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Steve is in Brooklyn. Hello, Steve. I happen to be one who agrees with you, and I will give you a chilling story of a recent discovery about that. Uh, there was a recent free health fair for people who were first responders at World Trade Center. Um, I happen to have been one such. I went for it. It was downtown in Manhattan. And there was a private medical company made up exclusively of Chinese doctors, nurses, medical technicians. It was a private company, and they were taking blood samples, blood samples, and blood pressure, and all kinds of weight and so forth, medical data. And I realized that almost nobody spoke English. 
And I began to wonder, my goodness, a private Chinese company of medical people volunteering their time and taking blood samples and so on. Well, where does that data end up going? And then I learned that there is a considerable amount of research. We've talked about gain-of-function research mm -hmm. during the whole epidemic. But um, the Chinese scientists are pretty good. They're, they're intelligent people, and they're doing all kinds of research. And what happens when they get a profile, a medical profile of each person's blood type and uh, possible medical problems? And they compile a nationwide database. They certainly have the manpower to do such. They also have the computer equipment to do such and inquire if they compile a database of every citizen of the United States little by little with the aid of some of the big tech companies that gladly give them medical software. Well, how about a company like TikTok, which is Chinese-owned, for exactly. instance? Exactly. But this, this is medical information, very, very personal stuff. And if people are clever enough bioengineered designers, they may, uh, who knows, design a particular virus for a particular person. Well, look, Steve. At some Steve, point in the distant future. I, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, years ago people might have said that you're crazy, that's science fiction. I think, Not anymore. I think the technology is here to do that right now, uh, Steve. I'm not certain. I, I cannot demonstrate that it is here now, but I can certainly envision it. People have come up with all kinds of DNA-based uh, splicings and so on and the attempt of human beings to tamper with the natural DNA, who knows what kind of Frankensteinish kinds of future developments might not develop from this. Mm -hmm. So why on earth are we voluntarily giving up our knowledge, yeah. our, our information? It's a great, great uh, point, Saul, Steve. Uh, thank you. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there is there are so many potential scenarios in which I see voluntarily giving your DNA being problematic, that I, I think it's one of those areas where the downside far outweighs the positive. There are positives, but I think the downside far outweighs the positives, in my view, at this point. 800-848-9222, you're welcome to call in and uh, disagree. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Let's fly way up to the clouds, away from the maddening crowds. We can sing in the glow of a star that I know of where lovers enjoy peace of mind. Let us leave the confusion and all this illusion behind. Just like birds of a feather, a rainbow together we'll find. The great Dean Martin, one of the many great artists to sing Volare. This is a uh, selection by Claudia Morano, and uh, it's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Claudia. If you run into her, be sure to wish her a happy birthday. Uh, we allowed her to pick the uh, bumper music today. 
I, I tried to get her to go with the um, Bobby Rydell version of Volare, but uh, she wasn't having it. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I'll tell you what no one else is uh, is seeming to have. And that is, um, I have become a big proponent of using WhatsApp. Are you familiar with WhatsApp? WhatsApp is basically a, uh, it's a, it's an app that you can use for sending messages, for uh, sending text messages, for sending voice messages, for audio calls, for voice calls, for photos, videos, documents, location sharing, status updates. And I don't have an iPhone, so I think a lot of the people that have iPhones can already do a lot of the things that I enjoy doing with WhatsApp. But one of the things that I enjoy doing with WhatsApp is let's say we we set up a group, right? And we, we actually should do this. Let's say we set up a group of just people that work on this show. And I put Kenneth on there, the telephone talent coordinator and podcast uploader, our producer Alex Barnard and uh, Matt Blaze. I could put the four of us on there. But let's say I want to add Jennifer, and actually we should have this. I don't know why we don't. And I'd say we want to add Jennifer Grodd, who helps with guest booking from time to time. We can just add her. So the four of us can can correspond. And then let's say a week or two later we want to add Jennifer to the mix. We can add her. Let's say someone else comes to start working on this show. Or we want to add someone else, say uh, somebody from social media or somebody from promotions. We can add them in the WhatsApp group. So I am – there's all sorts of neat things that you can do in WhatsApp. And I have become a big proponent of WhatsApp. And look, they say – and WhatsApp is now owned by Meta, the company that owns Facebook. So I don't really take their word for it. But – This is what they say when you do something in WhatsApp, and they're not a sponsor or anything, and they don't give me anything for free. I don't know anybody at WhatsApp. I want to be very clear. But they say that messages and calls are end-to-end encrypted. No one outside of this chat, meaning whatever WhatsApp conversation you're in, not even WhatsApp, can read or listen to them. So I think that's pretty good. You don't see court proceedings, by and large trials where they put the WhatsApp messages that people were having with one another uh, as evidence in the trial. You do see that all the time with text messages. You subpoena the records from the phone company and the phone company uh, releases these SMS text messages. And those are in court proceedings all the time. You don't really see that with WhatsApp. So I think there is something to this end to end encryption. I knew one guy one time that was very into, I don't, I don't want to, you know, out him. I mean, you don't know who he is anyway, so it doesn't matter. But he was kind of into cheating on his wife. And he would use WhatsApp to correspond with all of his paramours. And I think that, uh, and his point was, look, no, my wife is not be, going to be able to call the phone company and get my WhatsApp records and get those communications. So, I mean, by the way, if you're ever going through that much trouble just to cheat on your wife, it's probably time for you to work out another marital arrangement. So I'm a big um, WhatsApp person. So anyway, I am in a group text message, uh, SMS text message with my wife, all of my wife's siblings, my mother-in-law, and all of my co-siblings-in-law, okay, except one. 
right? He got added a little later. He's a new co-sibling-in-law. And there's also a WhatsApp group called O'Brien Family that they're all in, most of them. There's two that are omitted. So I love this WhatsApp group message. So I would upload photos of Carmine, or if I ever had something to say to the whole group, I would just go there and do it. And sometimes my wife would say, look, not everyone is in the WhatsApp group. You have to say that same thing in the SMS group. And so now we're in a situation where the SMS people and the WhatsApp people are getting duplicative messages. What's the point? So I go into the SMS group and I say, look, you need to uh, we need to just all migrate to WhatsApp. And there's two holdouts, I think. And I had a very powerful ally in my brother-in-law, David, who's a police officer in California. He basically was saying that, uh, look, WhatsApp is the way to go. But there's these two holdouts that are keeping us from going to WhatsApp. Fine. Then. Uh, We had this house that we rented in Atlantic City last weekend for New Year's Eve. And I set up a a group text message with just the people in the house. And then my wife ends up commenting on a different group text message, omitting some of the very same people in the house. And I, uh, I said, look, if we had WhatsApp and this conversation was being had on WhatsApp, we'd be able to add those people on WhatsApp just like that. And at this point, I'm on, I think, three or four different group text messages with my wife where in each of them I say something to the effect of this conversation should be on WhatsApp, this conversation should be on WhatsApp. So at this point, there's always one thing that's bothering my wife most about me. Right now, this is it. Um, Usually it's that I'm not doing my fair share of chores or something along those lines. Right now, it's that I've become too obsessed with converting people uh, in group text messages to WhatsApp. But I feel strongly about this. So uh, I know we have um, several members of my family and friends that listen to this program. If you're on one of these group text messages, join me in the in WhatsApp. And you gotta, I, I you gotta set, see the uh, the communications I've had with people of this. I have another friend who uh, he's on WhatsApp, but he doesn't check WhatsApp. So I don't text him. I don't text him because I don't want to disincentivize him from uh, texting on, from communicating on WhatsApp. So I'm a big WhatsApp proponent. Also, speaking of technology, you know, I, uh, my mom, God bless her, was kind enough to get me a, uh, a new laptop computer for Christmas. So I, uh, I tried it. It's working great, but I still have to kind of transition. I need maybe about an hour or two to transition all my stuff that's currently on the laptop that I've been using to this new personal laptop that I have. And I haven't had the hour yet. I'm hoping to do it this weekend. But um, I've still been using this one work laptop. But I'm hoping to use this work laptop as I used to use it, which was just for when I have to record interviews or connect uh, to the radio station from home. Uh, But lo and behold, today I was in a rush because I had a lot going on. Or yesterday I was in a rush. Um, It was one of those days where I woke up three hours earlier than I had to. Three hours early. And I maybe even four hours earlier. So I didn't have a lot of sleep. So I'm wide awake, wide awake in bed, sitting there. And I'm saying, Frank, go back to sleep. Babysitter's still here. You don't have to watch Carmine. 
Go back to sleep. You're going to regret this later. And I know it. And I'm sitting there wide awake, wide awake. And uh, sure enough, uh, I start my day. And then there was just a lot of running around. Carmine was cranky. Uh, my wife was a little under the weather. It was just a lot of running around. And then uh, it just one of those days where everybody is giving me a hard time. I just couldn't catch a break today. So I was in um, kind of a rush to leave to leave because I took a quick nap before I left because I was now tired because I got up at 1030 in the morning instead of 130 in the afternoon. So I'm rushing. I'm rushing to collect my computer and everything, and I forgot my power cord. So I, I, I know it's a matter of time before my laptop runs out of power, and I will be laptopless for the rest of the show. So I'm trying to conserve my laptop usage for the rest of the program. We will see how that goes, but uh, that's, that's that. All right, 800-848-9222. Talking about the DNA situation. Oh, last thing on the email, right? So yesterday... I was telling you about how they disabled my email. And I jokingly said to our director of operations and our program director, I said, uh, well, you know, I am still not. Am I fired? My email's disabled. And they said, no, you're not fired. Let's get this fixed right away. And they got it fixed right away. So today my email was acting all weird. And I thought something was up because... By 1 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe I have 150, 200 emails. I had 30. I said, something's fishy here. Something's fishy. And sure enough, a little bit later, all these emails that I want are getting caught in my, this spam filter. And if you ever want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. So I email the the HR, the uh, IT people here. Great guy. Good fellow's name is... Uh, it doesn't matter what his name is, but a great guy. And so I said, you know, what's going on? I've been having problems since my email was disabled. A whole bunch of people wrote to me, said they emailed me during the time that my email was disabled. I never got these emails. And I, I count on these emails. The email is integral to my being able to produce this radio show. I, I'm sending audio requests to our staff. I'm waiting back for guest requests. I'm sending research requests. I'm looking for quotes. I'm looking for information. I'm sending emails to myself. I'm sending timed promotional emails. If I have one electronic tool other than this microphone that's essential to this show, it's the, it's email. And so this is what he, this fellow writes back to me. I apologize for the disabling. And he was super nice. I'm not giving him a hard time at all. And this does sound like an innocent mistake. But listen to this. I apologize for the disabling of your email account. A few people were let go yesterday, and your name was placed on that list by mistake. It was meant for, Frank, someone else and not yourself. I mean, you talk about a pretty big mistake. I was on the list of people getting fired. And um, sure enough, I was not fired, thankfully. But, I mean, whoo. Talk about dodging a bullet. It really makes you appreciate how lucky you are. Um, so then he was able to help me out with those quarantined emails. And then almost immediately, almost immediately, I got 90 new emails because those emails were no longer being held in the ether anywhere. But um, it, it did it did make me think that I uh, that I've got to do a better job backing up all of the all the interviews that we have 
have done over the years because we've established quite an archive and quite a database of interviews over the course of the last uh, almost three years that we're doing this show. And uh, if I were to get fired, it would be a shame if those were all lost to the sands of time. So I'm going to begin a a process of archiving all the podcasts. And if you ever want to listen to any of the previous podcasts, if you're a new listener to the show, you can go to Red Apple um, Audio, uh, Red Apple Podcast Network.com. It's Red Apple Podcast Network.com. So those are my three technology related issues. My battle with all of my family and friends to convert all of my group text messages to WhatsApp. The fact that I left my laptop charger home and now sitting in front of me is a ticking time bomb that eventually will be no more than a paperweight. And I just hope it's after this show is over and me still dealing with the ripple effect of the disabling of my email because at least somebody thought I was fired, but thankfully I'm not. 800-848-9222. We were talking about the Idaho killer. Idaho killer's caught. That's a good thing. They caught him using a family member's genetic DNA, the genetic testing material that they had uploaded to a consumer testing website. I have so many concerns about this. I'm glad they caught this guy. I'm glad that he's not out there able to murder someone else. But I just wonder about the slippery slope. I want it, uh, I hate to say this, kind of, but I think this is in keeping with the Founding Fathers. I want it to be difficult for police to find people and arrest them. That is the hallmark of the Bill of Rights. There's a reason you need to have a search warrant before you can bang down someone's door. And this, this DNA era that we're in, where the DNA that people have voluntarily, and not just voluntarily uploaded, but paid to upload to private companies, is now being used as another realm of law enforcement. These private companies, they're not bound by any obligations here. And if they're choosing to essentially become another wing of law enforcement, I worry about what that portends for the future. Maybe you say I'm, uh, you know, a nervous Nelly. Maybe my, my least favorite arguments is, well, if you're worried about it, don't commit a crime. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Now I won't. I was going to commit a crime, but now now I won't do it. I um I just it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. And I'd love to hear your opinion. You're welcome to disagree. I know most of you do. 800-848-9222. Gino is in Brooklyn. Hello Gino. Hello sir. Um I'm in Florida right now. Two thoughts on the DNA stuff. I'm in Florida right now and they're reporting uh, down here at least that they were able to extract his DNA from some garbage that they had thrown out of the house. Now my really? question to you is really? is, is that volu- is that voluntarily at this point? Right, because they don't need to. That would just made it easy for them. But you could bet they were st- they were staking him out in, in Pennsylvania, waiting to go through his garbage, or waiting for him to spit on the sidewalk, or waiting for him to throw out a coffee cup or a cigarette butt. Because it would have happened inevitably. But the question then is, do you still think that's for gay? No, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I think. <laughs> I, look, what what CNN was reporting, um, and it wouldn't be the first time that CNN was misinformed. But uh, what CNN was reporting was that. Uh, that it was his uh, was a genetic testing website that a family member 
had had uploaded their DNA to that allowed them to find that it was him. Right. The law, I mean, law enforcement has a long history of going through people's garbage, and it's already gone to the Supreme Court, and it's been supported sure. by the Supreme Court that garbage is garbage, right? So I think it's inevitable in that in that respect, right? Um, but the second idea I had with the DNA is, you're familiar, that's exactly how we narrowed down with Osama bin Laden. The uh, the CIA had set up a shell organization in the name of a charity, and they set up a, a, a medical uh, inoculation uh, charity that was going around. And when they figured out what town that he might have been in, they put a – which is pretty sad, actually. They put a uh, – Afghan Af, um, Af, was it Afghanistan or – It was in Pakistan, Pakistan. in Abbottabad. Right, the Pakistani doctor, doctor to, to start inoculating the people in the town, and they were actually extracting their DNA and putting it into a database while in the name of charity. And since then, they've, they've disbarred that doctor, and they threw him in jail in Pakistan. Nobody, no, nobody reports on that story. It's a great story. But he's been incarcerated ever since for doing this legwork for, uh, for the CIA, which actually narrowed it down to him. That's how they found his location. That's how they, they raided the compound that he was in. Well, that, that's interesting. I'm not. I'm not up on that, but that's pretty interesting, Gino. I'll have to look into it's, that. Yeah, it's right in your wheelhouse. For <laughs> it, look into it. That's for sure. That's for sure. Hey, Gino, have fun in Florida. We'll see you when you get back. Thank you, sir. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Sky is in Texas. Hello, Sky. Good morning, sir. I'm a retired police officer with over 30 years, and I have a little bit of background. Information. You had a previous caller who mentioned the uh, Grim Sleeper. That I was a California police officer. That was a LAPD employee who worked for the Motor Pool for 18 years for the Los Angeles Police Department, and his son had been arrested on a different charge. And when they entered the son's DNA into CODIS, it led back to those 26, I think it was 26 previous uh, murders of prostitutes in the Los Angeles area. They called him the Grim Sleeper. I see. Well, see, that's a very different situation than a DNA testing website, though. Yeah, so they used the CODIS. The CODIS uh, hit led to the father. Now, with the the other case, I have a personal friend whose son was killed in a drive-by shooting (laughs) in Los Angeles about six years ago. They will never find her son's killer. The DNA or CODIS is used in high-profile cases. When Bill Cosby's son was murdered on the 405 freeway, they were able to track the killers using CODIS and different DNA technology to track down the killer of Bill Cosby's son. You have never been the victim of a, a violent crime where someone in your family has been murdered, but it gives closure to those poor victims whose family members were killed 26 years ago, and my friend whose son was killed, she won't get closure, and I've spoken to her as recent as last week, about her son's case. LAPD has about 10 murders a day. New York Police Department, I don't know how many murders a day they have with NYPD. Yeah, not that many, so, thankfully. But, Scott, so I get it. Sir, go ahead. Until you become the victim of a violent crime, you're not going to be really concerned. Well, okay? uh, yeah, Sky, I understand that. Concerned. All right, Sky, I understand that. I, I okay, Sky, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on hold because you don't want to be quiet while I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Number one, um, I had a very close friend that was murdered, 
uh, who um, we were not we were not uh, biologically related, but he was like family. So uh, uh, the last thing, and I sat through um, his killer's trial and uh, was just in agony as one juror refused to con- convict this person. And then uh, the, the jury w- that jury was deadlocked and it was a mistrial. And then I had to then uh, sit through a a whole second trial going over this same evidence, which was very emotional to do so. So uh, I, I feel terrible for what your friend went through and uh, what uh, what you've gone through. And I can only imagine the kind of things that you've seen as a uh, as a law enforcement person. But uh, the last thing that I want is a lecture from you of, uh, oh, if you were a victim of a crime, then you'd want this. No, I, I know exactly what it's like to uh, have someone be murdered. OK, that's number one. Number two, you, the CODA situation that you you're describing. One, I think uh, it illustrates another problem, which is that the uh, family members of the wealthy and the famous, like the Bill Cosby son incident, which you me- mentioned, are getting an opportunity to have their uh, their crime solved at a rate that normal people aren't. I think ideally everybody should have the same access to investigative tools that everyone else does. Lastly, all of the incidents that you mentioned, uh, the CODA situation, and I'm going to look into this grim, grim sleeper situation that uh, uh, that the previous caller mentioned. That is not voluntarily giving up your DNA. The CODA situation that you describe uh, to one of these DNA uh, testing sites, the CODA situation that you describe, it reminds me more of a case out of San Francisco last year that we spent a lot of time talking about, and there were some similar ethical debates of a rape victim who was uh, who gave their DNA as part of a rape kit, and then they were arrested for another crime. I think that's more in line with what you're thinking. I um I can deal with catching murderers using these DNA testing websites. My concern is what prevents law enforcement from using it for something else. And then eventually what stops them from using testing the DNA sites from using them for everything. I'll let you have the, uh, the last word there, Scott. Okay. I didn't mean to, to give you a lecture. Uh, That's okay. Um, yeah. And I was in law enforcement for so long. Uh, there are many victims out there of families. They don't get closure. And I've written search warrants when you have to write the probable cause. They're probably going to have to enact some type of act or law where we can require that to be listed in the probable cause to write the search warrant. The law enforcement agency that I worked for asked all of the detectives if we would submit to a DNA, blood draw for DNA that would go to the crime lab for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, and they kept it on file. There's something called the California Officers' Bill of Rights. There were officers who refused to give their DNA voluntarily using the California Officers' Bill of Rights, which is fine. They didn't give theirs. I gave mine, and I have my uh, printout of my profile. It will help an officer if his DNA or her DNA is picked up at a crime scene to clear that officer if their DNA is picked up at a crime scene. So there are advantages. So. There's going to have to be a method where... Well, I think you're right, Scott, and, and I, I didn't mean to be curt with you. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you for your service as uh, as a police officer. But 
Uh, I think you're right. The And this is kind of the fundamental point that I began the discussion with. The law and the need for safeguards of civil liberties in the law has not yet caught up with the technology. And um, while we're still in this gray area, I'm not giving my DNA away to anybody voluntarily. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Claudia would uh, pick this song. This is right up her alley. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. By the way, uh, you know, I'm into the unusual, the unexplained, the mysterious, the uh, outlandish. And uh, one issue we've covered a little bit, not a tremendous amount, but a little bit, is the Loch Ness Monster. And uh, I read this uh, interesting article more visual. There's not much for me to say about it on the radio, but it was in the Mirror, which is one of these British papers, and it had a collection of the 10 most intriguing sightings of the Loch Ness Monster caught on camera in 2022. They say caught on camera. At least one is caught on sonar. So I just linked to it on my Facebook page. If you want to read it or see the pictures, uh, you can at facebook.com slash moranofan, facebook.com slash fan. Meantime, uh, let me say hello to Charlie in Florida. Hello, Charlie. Hey, Frank. Welcome back to your AC trip. Thanks, Charlie. Which I just barely heard that you went. <laughs> I've been off the air for a while. Nice to hear you. We've missed um, you, Charlie. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, the DNA thing, um, I was just thinking about it. And, you know, we are all in databases between our driver's licenses, our registrations, easy pass, everything, right? And there was a big controversy back when uh, there was supposed to be, you know, the, the cell phone cracking on a case, whether that was privacy, you know, the privacy issues and all that. And I, I'm thinking now, since we're already all pretty much damaged goods, that the, the government knows everything about us, and the future is going to get even worse, let's say we have a, everyone give a a sample, have a huge database of everyone's DNA. That way the cops, they find DNA, they can link it to the person right away. Now the, the, the Pandora's box is open. Things, can, But it has to be under the most strictest guidelines of safety and privacy. And of course, there's going to be slip-ups. Or we go the other way. 
to get a uh, warrant for that particular DNA that you found. Charlie, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to end it there. Charlie, thank you. We're going to have to end it there. We're out of time. Those of you that are holding, um, we'll get to you after the top of the hour. I disagree. I don't know what to tell you. I disagree. All right, I'm a civil libertarian. What can I tell you? Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, All right, we're going to do denunciations in just a bit. This is another one of our segments that people tend to look forward to all week long. And uh, we are going to uh, take your calls at 800-848-9222. Want to remind you, so there's all sorts of people that that listen to this show, not live, but on the podcast. Okay, people have a need to sleep at certain hours. I respect that. I understand that. But... In addition to downloading the Other Side of Midnight podcast in its entirety, you really got to subscribe to Frank Morano Interviews and more. Because if you're only listening to the Other Side of Midnight podcasts, you're missing out on these local commentaries that I do at the top of uh, of each hour. So you got to th- there's some good stuff there that you're missing out on. I mean, we pack more insight and more of a punch into 2 minutes than a lot of shows do into three, four, five hours. So uh, just search on iTunes or any other podcast platform, Frank Morano Interviews and more. By the way, speaking of crime, which we were just doing with um, the DNA discussion, I do have a true crime podcast called The Racket Report where we delve into the world of La Cosa Nostra. My guest this week is Frank DiMatteo, former associate of the Gallo crew. The uh, writer of the book, The President Street, uh, President Street Boys, and the publisher of Mob Candy Magazine. Now, this is a magazine that he publishes that essentially is all about mob culture. And so I asked him the same question I've been asked a thousand times for doing this podcast. I asked the question, does this, was he, does what he's doing glamorize the mob? Isn't that dangerous? Listen to my question. Listen to his response. What do you say to those folks who say that, um, you know, that you're glamorizing a lifestyle that shouldn't be glamorized? What would I say? (laughs) I would say, too bad. This is what I do. I really don't care. Hollywood has done it. When you get them to stop and uh, stop. (laughs) But uh, I'm personally, I don't, I don't, I don't really care what anybody thinks. You know, I'm, I'm not in a position that I have to, you know, I get fired or I get in trouble. Like that. I can do what I want. You know what I mean? And people's opinion don't really bother me anymore. Cause after what I did in my life, if they, if I had to tell the truth, they wouldn't be talking to me anyway. There you have it. Frank DiMatteo, very outspoken. He doesn't care about much. I want to encourage you listen to the whole thing. Uh, please subscribe to the racket report podcast and uh, I've linked to it 
on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But you can also just search The Racket Report on iTunes. Uh, leave us a nice five-star review if you are on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. And uh, you can just go, if you don't have iTunes or any other podcast platform, just go to Red Apple. PodcastNetwork.com and uh, look for the Racket Report. All right. A couple of people have been patiently holding. I want to get to them, and then we're going to go to uh, denunciations. John is in Freehold. Hey, John, I thought you were coming to uh, New Year's Eve Eve this year. What happened? Um, My wife didn't want to go, and she wouldn't let me go, and there's this whole thing. All right. I I really wanted to go. Next year. Next year. I'm shooting for it. But um, I just wanted to say, uh, well, first of all, I didn't get to say yesterday, Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. And um, I, uh, unfortunately, it was almost 10 years ago already, I got in trouble with the law, and unwillingly, I had to give up my DNA. Um, they, uh, they took a swab out of my cheek and put me in the system forever. And uh, it, it just bothered me because... Let's say you were just like in somebody's uh, apartment or you use the bathroom somewhere and somebody gets murdered and they pick up your DNA and only your DNA is the only one intact there that they find. That'll make you guilty of something when you didn't do anything. Well, I agree with you. And I think that's a big problem. And when we dealt with that situation of the San Francisco rape victim, that was also my concern, is that you would have crime victims much less likely to cooperate with uh, with law enforcement. What we're seeing with these DNA testing sites, though, I think is much more insidious, where at least in your case, and I, and I, and I get why you're frustrated, and I would be too, but at least in your case, they, you were, um, I don't know if you were arrested, but you had some sort of involvement with law enforcement. And it was a law enforcement agency that was taking your DNA. Now, that doesn't make you feel any better now that your DNA is on file somewhere. But I feel a little bit better about that than some private company acting as a, a another wing, a de facto arm of law enforcement. You see what I'm saying, John? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like it's the same thing, though. Yeah, I hear you. Look, I, I hear you. I, I, um, I recognize that DNA is an important tool in terms of uh, convicting people and in terms of exonerating people. So I don't want to sound like I'm anti-DNA. I'm certainly not. But um, I'm anti-using DNA without people's permission. And I'm anti-using other people's DNA. Thank you, John. And by the way, I just got another email here from Anton, and thank you, Anton. He's, is, he is saying the same thing that, uh, that Gino was saying, which is that they did not get this DNA from one of uh, Koberger's relatives. They got it instead from his parents' garbage. So could be that CNN story was not accurate. I don't know. But um, – I stand by everything that I said, even if they got it from garbage. All right. Uh, Leo on the Upper East Side has been patiently holding. We've talked to Leo, and then we'll get to denunciations. Hello, Leo. Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, can I make a short comment about your uh, vacation? Be my guest, yes. Just shortly. If you can consider next year, uh, maybe be there for your listeners, because some of them don't mind. Some of them have little preparation. For well, me, I was working on Christmas, New Year Eve, 25th, 26th. And for me, instead to have my favorite show, Frank Mayo, 
to listen to the verbal vomit of Sliva was just punishment. <laughs> anyway, that's something considered next year. Well, so uh, I, I, I heard, I heard, wait, I heard the that's end of thing. what you, I heard the end of what you were saying there, Leo. But I missed the beginning. What are you asking for for next year? If you can consider to be there for listeners Got on, it, uh, okay. on the holidays. Gotcha. Because okay. Because instead of some of us really like your show and really dislike Sliva. So at the moment where you take a vacation, uh, instead of when I'm working on my holidays, days, instead of a favorite show, I got to listen to Sliva. Got it. Okay. Well, that's fair. Or, uh, we'll or not see. having listening at night, anything. Gotcha. I understand, Leo. I understand. What, what, uh, what I wanna, was your other I, I agree with you absolutely about uh, these data banks, and, uh, and uh, it should not be admissible in the court unless uh, unless the people who left in these uh, data banks the DNA uh, concede for that, and they 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 should have the the, the police should have to have some written admission. Is they investigating, let's say, some felony, uh, felony uh, case? The people who left the DNA in these uh, companies should be contacted and either way signed for it as they agree, or just uh, it would not be, you know, usable in the court. All right. Well, thank you, Leah. We'll end it there, and uh, and we will move on. Without further ado, a lot of people. Eager to hear my take on The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. Let me begin by denouncing these hackers who posted the email addresses linked to 200 million Twitter accounts, according to security researchers. 200 million email addresses linked to more than 200 million Twitter profiles are currently circulating on underground hacker forums. And this, again, uh, not to beat a horse to death, but what if they hack one of these DNA companies? Do you want your DNA, once it's hacked, leaked on all these underground forums? Think of all the bad actors that could have access to it. So anyway, the apparent data leak could expose the real-life identities of anonymous Twitter users and make it easier for criminals to hijack Twitter accounts. So... I think this is awful. Uh, the uh, If you're a hacker that did this, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Coinbase. Coinbase was uh, acting very irresponsibly, and they have entered into a settlement with authorities in, the, uh, in New York, the Department of Financial Services. Evidently, Coinbase did a very poor job, almost a criminally poor job, at vetting new customers and examining transactions on the exchange to ensure that they were complying with state banking, cybersecurity, and other rules. So under the settlement, the company is going to pay a $50 million settlement. They've also agreed to spend another $50 million over the next two years to address shortcomings identified by the agency. So they were not doing... Any proper background checks. And it was basically uh, they had a pattern that was suggestive of fraud, money laundering or other illicit activities. And uh, they were it looks to me that what Coinbase was doing here was closing their eyes and taking the money. They didn't want to know what was going on. They just wanted the money. Oh, okay, Money laundering. Uh, I don't want to know about that. 
And sure enough, they did no vetting in any responsible manner. So Coinbase, I do denounce you. I must denounce Doncaster surgery. I believe it's pronounced Doncaster. This is so wild. This doctor's office, basically, accidentally told patients. I want you to imagine this is you. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. Doncaster surgery accidentally told patients via text message that they had aggressive lung cancer instead of wishing them a Merry Christmas. You talk about a big mistake? So they sent this text message to people registered with the surgery. Uh, It's Askern Medical Practice on December 23rd. So this one woman... Sarah Hargreaves, she was waiting for medical test results. She broke down crying when she received the text, only to be later told it was sent in error. So this group, which runs the surgery, said nobody was available for comment when the BBC reached out to them. They have almost 8,000 patients. The first text message told recipients they had, quote, aggressive lung cancer with metastasis. It directed patients to fill out a form, which allows people with terminal diseases to claim certain benefits. However, about an hour later, people received a second text message telling them it was an error and it was meant to wish them a Merry Christmas instead. How do you like that? Imagine that hour. Hey, you have uh, terminal lung cancer. Fill out this form. Oh, wait. We That was just a mistake. Merry Christmas. You talk about the height of irresponsibility. So to Doncaster Surgery and uh, Akern Medical Group, I do denounce you. While we're on the topic of uh, the British, because that is a, a British entity, I must denounce Prince Harry. You know, I don't care about the royals. I don't get involved in the royals. Whatever the royals do does not concern me. I'm glad that uh, our uh, ancestors fought a revolution so that we wouldn't have to care about the the royals and then we could elect our own scoundrels and not have them be born to us. But I have to tell you, I am so offended by what Prince Harry is doing here. Prince Harry is basically going on a tour trashing his family. I mean, his brother, his father, everybody sharing the intimate, most intimate details of his final moments with his grandmother, who apparently, you know, loved him very much. I, this is, all I could think is, I can now understand, I never really paid attention to any of these Harry and Meghan articles, but I can now understand why everybody can't stand these two. I don't, this guy is essentially making money through writing a tell-all book, bashing his family, going on a media tour, 60 minutes and the like, airing his family's dirty laundry. I would never do this. This is just awful. And um, uh, Don Lemon was right on CNN, and I very rarely find myself agreeing with Don Lemon. 
But he said the same thing. He blasted Prince Harry for airing family dirty laundry. This is just reprehensible. Everyone's got a family. I've got arguments in my family. Am I going to put that out there for the whole world to see? No. How about you get a job, Prince Harry? I mean, I find this so distasteful. Uh, Prince Harry, I do denounce you. I must also denounce soda. New study suggests that drinking just one soda pop a day could be raising your odds of going bald. Oh, yes. If you're a man and you don't want to be bald, put down that soda. Researchers from the Tsinghua University in Beijing found that those who indulged in just one soda per day had a 57% higher risk of experiencing male pattern hair loss compared to those who avoided soda. So, again, they're always careful to say that correlation does not equal causation, but there's some correlation, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some causation. So if you don't want to be bald, try to avoid soda. I want to denounce these idiotic, drunk YouTubers that called themselves four fun guys that drunkenly trespassed onto an animal enclosure on a night safari. They're American, of course, and their drunken act antics at the night safari have made people in Singapore just see red. This group, which calls themselves Four Fun Guys on social media, they uploaded a TikTok video of their wild night um, in October. And the clip surfaced on TikTok last week. They have over a, a million subscribers. And these idiots are purchasing bottles of soju. That's a, a Korean liquor from a convenience store and downing their drinks before heading to the night safari where they boarded the tram. And it's not known what time they arrived at the park, but the video's caption said one of the men uh, jumped off the tram at 2 a.m. They then wandered around on their own and even entered an animal enclosure to pet a sleeping wallaby. One of them also tried to lure a hyena with a potato chip. I can't tell you... First of all, if they didn't film this... I would say these guys are total idiots. The fact that they filmed this and posted it on the social media is so much worse to me because it sends the message to the next group of drunken idiots that all you have to do is act like a drunken idiot harassing animals in a foreign country and you can get half a million subscribers on TikTok. And these days, when one of the leading career aspirations, not one of the leading career aspirations among young people is to be a social media influencer, you're going to see a lot of other drunken idiots do this. And I hate this. I hate the way that it makes American look, Americans look to foreign, country, to foreign countries. I hate the way that uh, animals are going to have to be tortured, essentially, because of the antics of a few drunken YouTubers. This is just so reprehensible to me. So if you're one of the four fun guys, I do denounce you. I must also denounce procrastination. Now, I hate to do this because I'm a procrastinator. I'll tell you more about that later. But I'm bum bum. All right. I, uh, I do procrastinate. 
But you know what I do? I think I feel good about my procrastination because I procrastinate by doing productive things in the interim. So if I um, need to go to the store, right, and I don't feel like going to the store, I will send a very thorough email, right, instead of um, a just a, a quick two-word email. Now, tough if you're the recipient of that email, but the point is I use getting other stuff done to procrastinate getting what I don't want to get done done. But anyway, procrastinators are, according to a, a new study of uh, 35 Swedish students, they found that if you're a procrastinator, you are more likely to be depressed. You are more likely to be unhealthy. You are more likely to be broke. Again, this is another situation of uh, correlation and causation, but odds are pretty good. If you want to uh, be more prosperous, do what you have to get done right away. Procrastinators and procrastination. I'm one of you, but I do denounce you. I want to denounce CNN. Um, First of all, I am sure that what they're doing to Rudy Giuliani on Sunday is just going to be atrocious, but I don't want to rush to judgment. But this is why I am denouncing them at the moment. So CNN made a big deal about how they were banning alcohol for its correspondents working New Year's Eve. So you can't blame booze for this mistake. So they celebrate New Year's uh, New Year's at midnight in all sorts of different time zones. And that's cool. When I produce New Year's Eve shows before, I've done the same thing. And the network missed the traditional countdown to midnight in the central time zone. The network host, Don Lemon, was busy dancing to back that as up and missed the changeover in the central time zone to the new year. Don Lemon was busy throwing beads to his fellow dancers, and then he mumbled something about the countdown just after midnight. So as the song continued, viewers were treated to shots of celebrations elsewhere in the central time zone, all as New Orleans seemed oblivious to the moment. Now, imagine that. You got friends over for a New Year's Eve party. In the central time zone, you're watching CNN for some odd reason, and you're waiting for the countdown at midnight, and it never happens. That's crummy. Penultimately, I want to denounce Southwest Airlines. Oh, these Southwest people. So Southwest, we, we, their issues with canceled flights have been well documented. But now, these Southwest airline passengers who've been inconvenienced with thousands of flights canceled, are now suffering the the additional indignity and the additional inconvenience of not having their bags. So many of these Southwest Airline passengers that got their flights canceled still don't have their bags. And a whole bunch of them said they still have not gotten refunds. So these Southwest Airline passengers whose bags went missing during the scheduling meltdown last month, they're still trying to locate their belongings, and they're still trying to get their money back. What is going on at Southwest? I mean, how many pe- how many different ways can you inconvenience a person? Southwest, I do denounce you. And finally, I must denounce Dana White of the uh, UFC. He's the president of the UFC. It's a mixed martial arts group. He was caught on video slapping his wife in the face 
And um, they they were down in New Year's Eve partying at Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. And after five seconds, the video cuts to the wife looking distressed with her hands covering her face as White approaches. She tries to walk away, but he grabs her by the wrist. That's when Anne slaps her husband. And at that moment, White slaps her in the face, slaps her a second time, and then pushes her to the ground like she's some sack of potatoes and not the mother of his three children. I'll tell you. There are a lot of things that uh, if you followed me around with a camera when I'm drunk, there's a lot of things you could see me doing. You know, um, I I don't even want to make a list of all the dumb things that I do and have done when I'm drunk, right? The one thing that I don't think anyone, not I don't think, the one thing that without a doubt you have never, ever seen me do is, is slap a woman let alone your wife. I mean, what kind of degenerate would do this? Uh, When you're supposed to be celebrating a holiday? And why? Your wife is mouthing off to you? Maybe she even smacked you? You you know, you walk away. I don't know a husband that hasn't been tested by their wife. To slap them multiple times... And push them to the ground. I didn't. I don't know much about Dana White, but I got to tell you, whatever opinion I did have of him that was positive has been totally erased. And unfortunately for you, Dana White, I do denounce you. All right, that's this week's edition of Denunciations. Do you have anything you want to add? You uh, have any commentary on uh, this week's Denunciations? You can call me at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano. Super trooper beams are gonna blind me But I won't feel blue like I always do Cause somewhere in the crowd there's Super Trooper, a uh, selection by my sister Claudia uh, on her birthday today. Hopefully Claudia at least goes to the trouble of listening to uh, the podcast. I'll tell you, if she doesn't, 
I'm going to tell you what I got her for uh, her birthday. So I, I saw her on um, whatever day, Sunday, Monday, and um, I said, hey, are we going to see you for your birthday? She says, oh, no, I'm going to go out to dinner with mom and dad. Okay, all right. Well, could we see you another day? And she said, well, maybe Wednesday. So I texted her on Wednesday. I said, hey, are, are you going to come by tonight? And uh, she said, oh, no, my Tuesday plans with my friends fell through. And so those got moved to Wednesday. I said, oh, all right, okay, I guess it's not much of a priority. So I may see her tomorrow, Saturday. Hopefully that doesn't interfere with uh, with Smirconish. A lot going on here. One, today's pizza day here at the radio station. We haven't had pizza day in a while. Uh, we didn't have it last week because I was off from uh, my regular program and I was doing instead the the morning show, and you know the, the morning show crew they don't appreciate pizza, they don't know what pizza's like. So, uh, and then the previous Friday, I think I was, I think I was, I don't remember the situation, but it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we did do it two weeks ago, but Kenneth wasn't here, so we didn't have to worry about pizza alternatives. I I really uh, I like this joint that we ordered from today. We got three pies. One was like a spinach and artichoke pizza. One was a vodka sauce, and then one was a pepperoni. But they were all small pies. So the idea being you could, you know, try one of each. Uh, Matt Blaze, what did you try of the in the pizza department? I had the pepperoni, which tasted like pepperoni. Oh. But the, uh, what was that, the artichoke broccoli? That was pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought that was, it wasn't broccoli. I think it was spinach and spinach, artichoke. Spinach, spinach, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it that was good. was good. Yeah, Rita Cosby tried that, too. She liked that. And now, Kenneth, for your non-dairy needs, we got you a Jamaican beef patty <laughs> and some garlic knots. Yes, yes. The Jamaican beef patty was uh, pedestrian. It was pedestrian, good. Pedestrian, okay. Garlic knots, kind of lacking. Really? Not, not enough garlic. You know how... You know how they usually saturate them in, in garlic? You get the bits of garlic in there, you soak it up. Really? None right. of that. There you go. The word from Kenneth, not enough garlic. If you're a vampire considering going after Kenneth today, you have nothing to fear. Those garlic knots were unsaturated. So uh, so there's that. Now, meantime, just two minutes ago, I'm going about my business trying to prepare to say something interesting or intelligent, trying to prepare for something, a, a witty retort from Tom from the Bronx, who's on the line. And then uh, Matt Blaze says to me, you know, we have a meeting today. And I absolutely did not know that we have a meeting today. How do you not know about these well, things? But you know what? Probably because my email was disabled because the people that work here thought I was fired. Your, your email was disabled for like, what, like an hour? I, I think more than that. I think about three hours. I mean, the way you make it sound like you're like, I'm so behind in my email. I like, am. Like it's three days I worth am. of email. It's yeah. like a couple of hours. I, you don't understand. I, my, I, me sidelined for a, a couple of hours email-wise, it's like a regular person being sa- uh, sidelined for a year with no email. It's like Robinson Crusoe at this point. It's like, I'm like Tom Hanks in Castaway, basically. Um, so that being said, when were you informed that we had this meeting after the show today? Well, I knew we had a meeting, but I was informed yesterday. That it would be right after the show. So how did you know we had a meeting? Let's start with that. I believe we talked about it maybe a week ago that we were going to start doing the Friday meetings again because we hadn't been doing anything. Right. right. And nothing was being communicated correctly, mm-hmm. I, I guess. So, all right, got to start doing them again. 
starting in the new year. Well, did anybody say maybe Frank would like to know that we're going to have this meeting more than 90 minutes before so that in case Frank has something that he wants to think about bringing up, it's almost like the ask Frank anything. People that ask very intelligent questions about the alien uh, reintroduction protocol or the most beautiful women on Star Trek. If I could think about it for five minutes, I'd have something intelligent to say. But now I I can't prepare for this. Well, you got about an hour and 20 minutes. But I'm on the air. I can't prepare during the show. Uh, Hopefully, I have my notes from my previous meeting, but uh, given the fact that my laptop is poised to run out of juice, I probably won't be able to uh, bring them to your attention. All right. Um, I think, you know, it's probably a post-ratings meeting, which is great, because because we did well, ratings-wise. So so that should be be good. All right. Um, A couple other things. So a lot of you who went to New Year's Eve will be interested to know. I tried to reach out as many to as many of you as possible. But uh, turns out, I mentioned this the other day, one person that was there got, uh, got COVID, right? And, th- and they told me about They didn't know they had COVID. They told me about it afterwards. And uh, then yesterday, I learned two more people that were at New Year's Eve Eve have tested positive for COVID. And one of them... Uh, is uh, a relative of mine. He's pretty sick, actually. I'm sure he'll be fine. You know, he's a young, fairly young guy. So all told, as of yesterday, I knew of three people that were at my New Year's Eve Eve party and had COVID. And so I email a whole bunch of people that were at the New Year's Eve Eve party. Now, I am not that into testing and everything, but I know a lot of other people are. So I think the responsible thing to do these days is is just if you know someone has had a positive test and you've been exposed to them, you got to let people know, right? So I send out this email. I said, hey, uh, look, it shouldn't be a surprise. There were 85 of us in relatively close quarters, almost no one wearing a mask for four hours. And uh, so far, three people have told me that they've tested positive for COVID who were there. So anyway, I send out this email and four people, right back to me and said, oh, I tested positive for COVID too. So all told, I think there's seven people that were at New Year's Eve Eve that have now tested positive for COVID. And I think another one or two that tested negative for COVID, but were experiencing uh, some sort of flu-like symptoms. I'll tell you who is just feeling peachy. The Frankster, this guy, strong as a bull moose. And my wife says, you know, because my wife is home, with the with with Carmine all day, she doesn't have to worry about infecting all of her coworkers because she works from home. She said, "You know, you should, you should go, you should test, you should take a COVID test." And I, I hate doing this because my view is very simple: that if you're sick, whether you're sick with the flu, COVID, or just a bad cold, that you should stay home. And if you're not sick, you know, then there's no need to create an issue where you would have to stay home. But, okay, why should I make that decision for Kenneth and Matt and, uh, you know, Alex Barnard and everybody? If I'm asymptomatic, um, there is some evidence that you could still share it, still, you know, spread the disease. So I take a COVID test and I'm waiting for the results. And uh, I asked my wife, well, how do I know if it's positive or not? Because she knew all about this, right? Uh, oh, you got to do this, and then you got to do that. And she says, how do you not know this? How are you the only person in America that doesn't know what a positive COVID test looks like? I said, I don't know. You know, 
So I, uh, sure enough, apparently if it has two lines when you take the test, it's positive. I was not positive. Once again, still negative, And I got to tell you, feeling just great. And I know a lot of you are going to be upset with this, but I tell you what I attribute that in part to. About a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I got my second COVID booster shot. And I know a lot of you poo-poo these booster shots. I went down to the Super Health Pharmacy, no wait, boom, boosted. And I'm surrounded by all these COVID people. No COVID for the Frankster. So I'm hoping that stays that way. Of course, now that I bragged about my lack of COVID, tomorrow I'm going to be coughing and sniffling and sneezing and feverish and all sorts of other things. Um, And I'm supposed to go out to Rockland County tomorrow for uh, a friend of mine's birthday, a friend of mine uh, for many years since uh, pretty much the sixth grade. And I'm looking forward to going. Not only have I not seen him in a while, but there's a lot of friends of ours that, um, you know, that we we used to get together all the time. But who moves here? Who gets involved with this? You all have kids and nobody gets to see one another as much. So I'm really looking forward to going to that. And then a little bit later in the evening, uh, I was supposed to go to another birthday party. And um, I uh, will try and make that if I'm home early enough. And uh, we'll see where that goes. But hopefully I don't have COVID and I can go to that. Now, speaking of COVID, Tim Robbins is an interesting guy. Tim Robbins uh, is, uh, you know, he's progressive. He was for Nader in 2000, but in 2004 he was very strongly for John F. Kerry. He and Susan Sarandon have always uh, been pretty consistently on the leftward end of the political spectrum. But he's come out against vaccine mandates for actors. And uh, now he went on uh, Russell Brand's uh, podcast. And I I didn't have a chance to pull the audio. But he went on there and what he said was essentially that COVID has become a new religion. And he said that the Orwellian COVID rules are based on politics not science. I got to tell you, I really, I tend to agree with much of that. And uh, he said, quote, we became aware of the idea that the vaccinated could spread the virus and catch it like the unvaccinated. Well, maybe not the Frankster. To continue the policy of lockdowns or mandates after that, didn't seem to be following the science. It was following a political agenda. That's where I really started to have problems with it, as what um, Tim Robbins told Russell Brand. The fact that there were these changes of definitions, my alarm bells went off. I wondered, what's going on? In the past, natural immunity was one of the building blocks to moving forward. And then he questioned why the scientific community, including Dr. Fauci, dismissed that. He also questioned why entire communities locked down a policy that uh, certainly clashed with uh, previous dictates. The WHO changed its protocols on virus outbreaks. In the past, you lock down the vulnerable, but you let society go on so it can build its herd immunity. This was changed as well. We went into lockdown with healthy people and children. Now, again, Tim Robbins is an actor, not a medical expert, but it was nice to hear a little bit of an alternative to a lot of the uh, conventional wisdom on uh, on this sort of a thing. So that's uh, that's that. All right. 
Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we are talking about. That's 800-848-9222. And then on uh, Sunday, it is uh, my sister-in-law Sharon's baby shower. Now, it's not one of these modern Jack and Jill baby showers. So my wife's going to my wife is hosting the baby shower and a whole bunch of people are now not able to go to that because of covid. And it's funny. I mean, December and January, this is kind of just what happens. I think it's going to happen for the foreseeable future. You know, flu, covid. This is what happens. You, you're in close quarters. People get sick. And uh, my wife is a little bummed that uh, she, you know, she paid for a whole bunch of people that were attending this baby shower that are now not able to go because of of COVID or whatever else. And um, I'm hoping the venue does give her a refund because she paid already for all these people. They gave her a final headcount. And I'm uh, hoping the venue does the right thing and refunds her the money for people that are not able to go because uh, because they're sick. So uh, that's that. All right, 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello there, Tom. Yeah, I'd like to say, how do you know that there are some maniacal characters that can take somebody's DNA and put it on a corpse that died? So when they they look at that corpse, they find somebody's DNA that never was near the scene. Well, you know what? I I, again, I don't know the science here, Tom. I don't know how practical that is, but I would think there's certainly a way to do that. Honestly, yeah. Well, and it sounds it sounds maniacal. Yeah. Well, I mean, chances are, if you're a murderer, you're at least somewhat maniacal, and you're willing to do some kind of maniacal things. So, I would definitely include framing someone who wasn't a part of your murder scheme. I would definitely include that in the type of mania that we're talking about. Yeah, now I'd like to say something else. This DNA story has triggered a lot of characters, individuals that are looking for the real murderer, and they turn around to people and say, hey, I'll get you a a beer on me or something, you know what I mean, to get your DNA (laughs) <laughs> on a, on a, beer, a can of beer or something. You know, it's so funny that you said that because <clears throat> long before DNA was uh, an everyday part of people's lives, about 30 years ago, more than that, maybe 34 years ago, there was an episode of uh, of Cheers. And I, I, my wife and I are rewatching this now, so it's fresh in my memory. And Carla, the waitress, who's kind of, you know, she's kind of a spitfire. She's got however many kids she's got, eight, seven, eight, nine kids, however many. And a a boy is coming to take her daughter out on a date, and she wants to meet with the boy first. And so she gives him a soda at the bar, and then the boy leaves, and she takes the soda can, and she has it tested for DNA to see if he has any criminal history. So people were talking about doing this even even years ago, Tom. So uh, I, I think you may be more right than you know, even if you're being a little flippant. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Keith in Astoria. Hello, Keith. Hey, good evening or good morning, as it were. Morning. Um, listen, where's responsibility? And, and, you know, I picked up a friend of mine who had just had a seven-day battle with COVID, okay? And I gave him a ride. Then I go to my church, and how many people should I tell 
where, where, where does this chain of, of, you know, well, I've been, you know, I've been in this particular environment or that particular environment. Where does your responsibility end? I mean, because it becomes absurd after a while. Well, it's a great question, right? So I think you have to use common sense and your best judgment. My, my view is really, in uh, look, I am, um, I'm not sick, right? So normally I would not make a habit of telling anybody. If um, I was in a in close quarters with five or six people that all had COVID, and then I'm going to visit my aunt Camille, who's elderly and who you know could be given quite a wallop from from COVID, I would not not go. I would say, Aunt Camille, you know, I don't want to come visit you because uh, I'm living with four people that that have COVID. I think you got to use common sense. You're right. I, I mean, I think the best thing that people can do, and thanks for the call, Keith is if you're sick, stay home. Uh, I realize asymptomatic spread is something that can happen, and that's why, you know, testing is important to a lot of people. I would, if my wife didn't have me get tested out of concern for uh, my coworkers, I wouldn't have gotten tested because uh, I think now that COVID has mutated into something that is more transmissible but less lethal, where we're in a mode where COVID is almost going to be treated like everything else. Someone, one of the people that was at the party that got COVID, they basically have a head cold. Not even, I don't think they even have a fever. But um, I think that's kind of where we are at this point. COVID's going to be here in one form or another for years. I think it's really just like the flu in terms of uh, the precautions that you need to take in terms of possible transmission, in terms of testing, in terms of treatment. So, I mean, people need to use common sense. If you're sick, stay away from people, particularly the vulnerable. That's the the best that I can offer to people. I think this um, this stigma, this mystique of COVID, I, being this, uh, like, almost like you're carrying around a nuclear weapon, I think that is something that's very 2020. Finally, um, Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hello, Frank. Um, you know, <laughs> I have so much to say about COVID. You know, I'll tell you, just, I just said, just to, just to focus on, I, I think it was sad that you said that, that uh, you know, the Frankster doesn't have COVID because uh, he has had his booster. Um, you know, it, I think that the fact that we do not look towards alternative medicine when confronted with an aberrational situation uh, we are in a, a vaccine is presented. And what I mean by that is this. We have forgotten how we, we reacted to natural plagues where vaccines were, were required because we conquered every natural disease that required a vaccine. We haven't been confronted with something that needed a vaccine. So now wait, 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 wait. we slow, get a, slow down. Well, let me finish my sentence. Now that well, we get a man, I'm not even following uh, what you're uh, saying. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, hang on Larry, because it sounds like you're poised to say something really interesting. So hang on, I'm going to put you on hold. We'll continue the conversation in, uh, in just a moment. Now, again, I don't want to be uh, dismissive of, um, of anybody that, uh, you know, that has had a loved one die from COVID. I've known people. That my, I, I had two neighbors, husband and wife, that died from COVID. They were, uh, you know, unvaccinated. I ran to get that vaccine. I ran to get the booster. I ran. To, I'm double boosted. I was bragging about this when uh, my dad was over yesterday. He was bragging to me that he was triple boosted. Um, but um, 
you know, if you want to make a different choice for your own health care, that's fine. But I really do think that in my case, all these boosters have helped me avoid getting COVID, at least a symptomatic case of COVID. But um, look, people can make their own decisions, right? 800-848-9222. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Because I'm vaccinated. That's right. Gloria Gaynor as part of the Claudia Morano bumper music selections for the day. Uh, singing I Will Survive. Uh, Going to get back to Larry in Brooklyn in a moment. couple quick things. Um, I want to encourage you to join the Facebook group. The Facebook group is meant to be a forum for people to discuss this show. So you can go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano or just go on to Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. And Daniel writes in the Facebook group, when a police officer is caught on video hitting a person, Frank Morano is quick to say we need to see the entire video for context. Yet a video of Dana White striking his wife and Frank denounces him. Why isn't Frank calling to reserve comment until the whole video is seen for context. You know what the amazing thing about this comment to me is? Is that somebody then comments exactly 100%. Somebody agreed with that? Now, how much context do you really need to see a guy that's probably twice the weight and eight inches taller than his wife smacking her in the face twice and pushing her down to say, well, okay, maybe that was inappropriate. To me, I I don't care what the provocation is, including if she hit him first. You walk away. Do you know a, a, a husband that hasn't dealt with a wife having a temper tantrum? I mean, usually, hopefully, they don't get physical. You walk away. You don't start smacking them around. Um. So it's just bizarre to me where people's heads go. The other thing that I found interesting, and this was actually a thoughtful comment, and uh, one of the users on there, Paulie, writes, uh, Frank Morano, first off, I love this group and the members on here. We all might not agree on posts, but we are mostly civil to one another. Yes, that's right. That's what we like. You even let us have constructive criticism on the show or segments. doesn't have to be constructive. It could just be criticism. And um, then... He says, you have another host at your station that cannot take any criticism or suggestions or anything that is not positive saying he's great. 
The uh, and then he's going on and on and on about how he's not even going on about the other host. He's going on about how the other host doesn't allow criticism. And my question is, why is this the forum that you're choosing to make that your cause, right? It almost uh, it reminds me of somebody that would show up to tailgate at a Jet game complaining about how the Giants are using Daniel Jones. Well, why are you saying that here? Go to the Giant game and complain. All right, it's just uh, people make me laugh. Um, I'm the man. All right, we'll hear from Larry in just a bit with his uh, comments on uh, on COVID. We'll go live to Tennessee to do something interesting and a whole lot more. Until next hour, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Um, We'll continue the COVID discussion in a second. I'm being deluged with a bunch of interesting articles here uh, that people are emailing me. If you want to email me, you can. Frank.Moreno at WABCRadio.com. One on DNA. You know, that Tom from the Bronx is more right occasionally than, uh, than we give him credit for. I just, fella just sent me an article here. This is wild. A guy's DNA was found at a murder scene. It turns out it was transferred there by EMTs who had earlier treated him, then later a crime victim. So I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Now, um, I thought that was uh, an interesting uh, article. So DNA, it's an important tool. For law enforcement, I don't think it is the be-all and end-all. Additionally, um, one question I want to ask you, honestly, is I am not the, to put it mildly, I am not the most religious guy in the world. Honestly, if I ever make it up to the pearly gates, I could see myself being one of those people where uh, St. Peter kind of shrugs and looks around to whoever the other decision makers are in terms of the gatekeeper and says, eh, this guy's kind of on the fence. Let him in, let him out. Eh, no, send him down to send him down to purgatory. Uh so I don't pretend to be a holy roller, but I believe in God. And I'd Stop like all that drinking and going to And I'd like, you know, God to be a big part of my son's upbringing. And uh, you know, he's one now. And one of the things that we have been struggling with is uh, getting to church on Sunday mornings, right? And, uh, uh, you know, I was raised in a Catholic tradition. My wife was raised in an evangelical tradition. But we mostly go to an Episcopal church. Um, Well, I like the Episcopal church. And uh, it has everything I like about Catholicism, none of the things that I don't like. 
And um, it's kind of a good middle ground between the two of us, between her evangelical upbringing and my Catholic upbringing. It's a nice middle ground. We also like we have a nice Methodist church and we baptized our son in a in a Methodist church. But it is a real struggle to get him um, to church on Sunday morning, in part due to his nap schedule, but also in part because he doesn't sit still for 10 minutes. I can't get him to sit still for a half-hour episode of Sesame Street. He crawls around. He walks around. (coughs) The only time he will really sit still is if he's not feeling well. So I am curious uh, for people listening who try to um, get their children involved in Religious services, whatever the religion is, uh, you know, uh, you're talking uh, Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, whatever, whatever it is. How do you manage that with a one-year-old? What do you do? I mean, I know a lot of Catholic churches have kind of like a family room where the children can run around and go a little crazy. And I get that, and I understand that, and that that's cool. But for a church that doesn't have that, and let's say you want to go there, what do you do? What do you do? 800-848-9222, because that's, that's something that we've been having a tough time with, is making church a regular part of our Sunday routine since he's gotten to a certain age. We used to just bring him, and he'd sit there, and he'd sleep. You know, But that was before he was walking around. And he's doing real well, walking-wise, uh, thankfully. All right, 800-848-9222. I was talking about COVID before. And I think I said something in my COVID discussion that has managed to irk just about everybody. Whether I I managed to irk the anti-vax people by saying I got vaxxed. And I managed to irk the COVID conscious people by saying, you know, uh, I think, you know, basically we shouldn't necessarily be testing if – you know, if you're not feeling symptomatic. So I'm sure I've irked everybody, but Larry in Brooklyn was on the line and I promised him he could make his point. Hello, Larry. Okay, so I'm from the anti-vax crowd. I was simply saying that when you take a vaccine, you're making a conscious decision that you're choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, And that has to be apparent to you. Now, in the case where there is a uh, the, the looming possibility, in this case, probability of a man-made virus, okay? We don't know for sure that the people who have made the virus and the people who are making the vaccines are not connected or maybe not even – or maybe the same, same group of people. Therefore, we cannot really know that we're choosing the lesser of two evils. And especially now we see in this case it was born true because – a vaccine, and the reason we have to choose the lesser of two evils is because basically we, we, a vaccine is uh, a lie virus, is the actual disease, uh, the, the vaccine is act, the actual disease, but in killed form. So that makes it, renders it the less of, of two evils. But in this case, where it was, I said, the actor is a suspect, the vaccine is very similar to the virus. It has a spike protein, which causes problems. So you see, it's borne out what I said because the, because in this case, uh, it, there's, there's some kind of foul, maybe some kind of foul play, and that is being borne out by the present time. 
where we see that now China is sending a new virus, is sending a, a, a new uh, variant here. The, the, lab, the Wuhan lab has never been closed. And Biden suspiciously made that edict that they have to be tested on the 5th, leaving almost a whole week for the Chinese to come in and spread the virus. Now, why did he leave that week open? That's enough time to create another pandemic. And, you know, and, and, you know, and they criticized Trump when he closed the airport right away. And there was still a pandemic because they slipped in. So you see, it doesn't take much time to create a pandemic. So we see there's nefarious actors going on here. That's why when it comes to the vaccine, I'm surprised people like you did not seize the option of taking four vitamins, which I took very religiously for two years, and it protected me. And I only let my guard down when the Omicron came, and I did get it because I heard the Omicron was not a very um, potent type of 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 covid right so well therefore i got it and it went away very quickly uh and um and i was the master of my own faith well that's when great you take the vaccine, that's great you're larry. not the master of your well, own faith larry the fact uh, thank you all right a uh, couple things one i am not going to relitigate every decision biden or trump or any other public official has made about covid uh because that's a whole show right um two the fact that you didn't get COVID because you were taking vitamins, that means absolutely nothing, right? Uh, you didn't get attacked by bears when you were taking vitamins. What does that mean? Uh, post hoc ergo propt hoc. It does not, it doesn't wash. You happened not to get COVID. And then you did. I am not at all convinced at the Larry vitamin methodology, okay? Um I've seen the resistance that uh, getting the vaccine gives you, and I recognize you could still get it. I'm convinced, and I recognize people disagree. I'm convinced that um, the vaccine does give you some degree of protection, at least from dying and hospitalization. And I realize most of the people that are getting the the vaccine, the uh, the virus now are people that have been vaccinated. I understand that, but. Um, I'm convinced that the symptoms that you experience are uh, less virulent if you're vaccinated. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, and maybe I sound just as naive as Larry uh, bragging about how I have uh, had two boosters and uh, I haven't gotten covid. Maybe I sound just as naive as uh, Larry talking about the, uh, you know, get the vitamin regimen that he was on. All right. Uh, in terms of um, 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222. And I, you know, I just got an SMS text message here from a friend of mine who said some people die from it and some don't, and you don't care that you can give it to someone who might die from it. Uh, well, yeah, I think I do care, right? And uh, that's why I, I have a wife that talks some common sense into, to me in terms of uh, not, um, Hi, you know. In terms of not infecting everybody. But also, if you're going to be at a party with 84 people, 83 of whom are unmasked, I think you have to figure somebody in that room is going to have COVID. And it turns out at least someone in that room did. So we've seen four four or five people get COVID from that New Year's Eve Eve party. It's going to happen. And I I think it's going to happen at last year. 
um, my wife got COVID at Christmas Eve. My, there was a Christmas Eve party with 50 people. And not only my wife, my cousin Natalie, a whole bunch of people got COVID at that Christmas Eve party. I mean, I, I think in December and January, these large holiday gatherings, you're going you're gonna to get, there's a good chance you're going to get COVID, right? I mean, I think you have to do what you can to protect yourself, especially if you're, um, if you're vulnerable. But you have to make the consideration. Are you going to stop living your life? Or uh, or you're not. I, I, uh, I'm going to go forward and go to parties that I want to go to. Not every party. And you know what I like about COVID is that you can use it as an excuse not to go to parties also. All right. 800-848-9222. Um, I am sincere, though, by the way. I would love your advice on getting a one-year-old to church on a regular basis. Or the family dynamic, if it doesn't include getting him to church. 800-848-9222. Do you have a situation where if uh, a toddler is not church ready, as it were, that maybe one parent goes one week, another parent goes another week? How do you guys handle that? Or how have you handled it when you had a youth? Because it's something that we haven't quite mastered. 800-848-9222. All right, we have a first timer. We're sorry. Jamie calling from a uh, Tennessee, a great station that we're on in Tennessee, uh, WUCT. Hello, Jamie. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Jamie. Uh, so uh, you're a new listener to the show, I take it. I am. I have been listening um, on my drive tonight, and it's been very interesting and enlightening. Wonderful. Well, you might be listening to the wrong program then. Uh, well, you know, it happens to the best of us, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. What's on your mind uh, this morning? So a couple of things. As far as the COVID aspect, um, I think that it's everyone's opinion because we're all going to have opinions and we're all going to do what we think is best for ourselves. But as far as your kiddo and the church aspect, it's what you're doing in your life. Like, you don't have to have a building to show him God. You don't have to have a building to show him religion. You don't have to have a building to show him consistency. And I think that's where we get lost in ourselves is we forget how to show consistency in anything that we do in our lives. Because we're so flippant as an individual person because we want to do what we want to do, but if someone else doesn't like it, then we'll change it to where they like it. Okay. I, I like that. I like that, Jamie. Do you have children? I do. I have three, and I have grandkids, too. Oh, you you sound like you're too young to have grandchildren. Uh, I get that a lot. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't that worried. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's solid advice, uh, Jamie. Thank you. I appreciate that. You are more than welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Jamie, welcome to Hee Haw. All right, Big Frank. And one thing about Tom from the Bronx, quickly, that that guy could haunt houses with that voice. He could become yes. a billionaire. Uh, yes, I'd just like to say uh, boo. I'm originally from the Bronx, too. Um, first of all, um, with this thing with the COVID and everything, I just think we never really zeroed in on the people who actually brought it here. 
they got, you know, we went after Fauci, we hung him out to dry, we, he was the big enemy for certain people, and we never really did, they're doing it again now, they were doing it in Europe, sending people to Europe who were sick with the, the COVID virus, and uh, obviously, the chain of command when it comes to COVID, people were, some people are definitely were going outside when they were sick, some people knew it, some people didn't know it, there was no contacts really, Not, there wasn't many people doing contacts, calling up, telling, you know, I got it, how about you, so I, we just, you know, we dropped the ball on it, and it looks like it's it's going to be here for for a long time. But I just want to say something about the DNA. Um, when you say that, are you worrying about it being misused or accidentally used? Yeah, I mean that's one of many potential concerns that I might have about it. Right, because like like Tom said, like you know, it could be planted. Someone could take the DNA. I mean, remember the OJ case with the gloves and the blood and everything. And also, yeah, we're um, still looking for those real killers. Yeah, we'll never find them until OJ turns himself in. But the thing is, uh, the, the DNA and all that stuff that goes on, the potential of you in the future being cloned too. somebody be able to clone like a thousand Frank Moranos. So there's a lot of potential for misuse when it comes to new technology. But I, I really believe that um, we're eventually going to get past it because we're going to have more new technology coming. So we don't know what's coming down the future. But what about hypochondriacs in the past three years? How did they deal with the COVID virus? They had to go be going crazy with it because of their well, I, I think people are, are, are having a tough time with it now. And thank you, Steve. You know, um, I was talking about this with my wife because we went to Mexico and what happened? Right. My son got the flu. And then here we are, you know, sweating out a uh, – last year was Christmas Eve and a whole bunch of people got COVID. And then uh, this year, you know, uh, New Year's Eve Eve, five or six people that were – at least these are just people that have told me that were at the party got COVID, right? So my wife said to me, who needs this? Every time we go to a gathering, there's a problem, right? Uh, she said I'm, she has two friends – that are very COVID conscious. And I have one friend that's very COVID conscious. And she says, from now on, I'm just going to be like so-and-so and so-and-so. You know, uh, Laverne and Shirley, we'll call them. That's not their names. I'm just going to be like Laverne and Shirley. Um, they don't do anything. They don't go to anything. And um, she was concerned about, uh, you know, potentially missing something if she got COVID. And so I, um, I think you got – my view is you got to live your life. Right. And you have to make it for you if you're comfortable, if you're going to be paralyzed by fear and anxiety, then obviously your best bet probably is to stay home. Those are, I think, the hypochondriacs that you're uh, talking about, Steve. But in my view, I've made the calculation that the vaccines are offering some protection and that uh, I would rather risk getting covid and, um, you know, go to the things that I want to go to, right? And if I'm sick, if I become symptomatic, I'm going to stay home, right? 800-848-9222. Sarah is in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Frank. Happy New Year. Thank you. You I too. Just, I want to tell you, as well, as the atheist daughter of a minister, <laughs> not out of spite or anything, just the way it is. Anyway. Sure. You know, my dad was one of these people, probably not unlike yourself, that would 
would dwell upon his sermons. Every Saturday, he was locked in his study. We were, weren't able to bother him. He had to be left alone because it, it, he put a lot of thought into it. Now, it's a small church in a small town. But there will always be someone, it seemed, that brought a young child to church. And it was almost, without stop, uh, distracting to everybody because the kids are just too young. They're not going to get anything out of it. Can't guarantee that a child's not going to be distracting. I had a kid. I understand that. So my parents joined together because they were an, an awesome team and talked about what to do about this because my dad would be distracted as well through the middle of his sermon. Right, exactly. I, so, I've been okay. in that position too. But here's what happened. And this was so funny. My mother took me to church when I was probably a, a older, little, probably two, okay, and knew that, of course, it would be distracting. And, of course, I started being distracting in the middle of my father's sermon. Well, my parents had planned this out. And my father stops the sermon and says, excuse me, ma'am, would you please, now he would never have done this to a parishioner, right? Would you please remove that disruptive child from the church for me? <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. And it's my mother. And, of course, she, she says, oh, sorry, you know, puts her hand up. Yes, yes, I will. Well, the point was well taken <laughs> because he composed himself again and said, yes, it can be very distracting when children are in church. It never happened again. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an interesting story. And it's almost like uh, it's almost the – uh, cl- the clerical the equivalent of a sister soldier moment where you denounce one of your own people to send a message to everybody else. But um, g- given that experience, what would you recommend in my case? Not taking Carmine to church until he can truly get something mm. out of it and pay attention. And that's what I did with my own child. I mean, I, even though I'm an atheist, I was, I was going to expose my child to everything that had to do with religion and not denounce any part of that because uh, I wanted him to be exposed to all so he could make up his own mind. Yeah. And, um, and so I didn't – I mean, there, there's, there's nothing that Carmine is going to get out of church. Well, okay? yeah, I, I understand that. And, um, you know, he doesn't even – he can't sp- say more than a dozen words at this point. So I, I recognize that the, the words won't really resonate with him. My concern is really in forming, in forming good habits for him. So that when he is old enough to start understanding what's going on, that he'll already have been in the habit of um, of going to church. But you say just just wait until he's a little older. Well, that's the key right there. Old enough to realize that he's forming good right. habits as well, you know. And I commend you for doing it. I I really do. Uh, you know, for your whole parenting style is perfect. But that was such a such an issue, and people don't really look at it from the standpoint of. The work that goes into to doing a sermon and being a minister. Oh no, sure, absolutely. No, you know, I, I, I totally get that, Sarah. Thank you. I appreciate the advice and you sharing that uh, story. I got a, I got an email here, and uh, actually, it's a text. You can text me eight one six eight Morano. Although I do prefer WhatsApp. Uh, this person writes: Getting a one year old to church: colon a couple of scotch sours and a peanut butter jelly sandwich usually helps. Now, I can assure you we're not doing that. Um, the last, 
That's the last thing we need to be doing. All right. Um, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute in just a moment. If you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, um, whatever, whatever walk of life you come from, whether you're Boris Rhodes or Philip Ferrugia, you can give us a, a call, and uh, if you're the seventh caller, you'll have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. 800-848-9222. Answer all 10 in 60 seconds, and you'll win $1,000. Simple as that. 800-848-9222. Dial now. We'll play straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Yo, what's up? This is Polo Boy. I'm here with Nick Jones. Send our love to you, Karen. Actually, this does get better. You're right. This is uh, We Go On, The Avalanche. I uh, heard this, and I, I asked Matt Blaze what this was, and he says it gets better, actually. And he's right. Listen, this does sound, sound good. Not bad. Not bad, I'll tell you. Another Claudium Annunziata Murano selection. Uh, all right, without further ado, it is time for us to uh, try and give somebody an opportunity to win some money, shall we? It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host... Thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, Let me say hello to Pete in the Garden State. Hello, Pete. Yes, hi, Frank. All right, I am ready. I am locked and loaded. Oh, boy. I'm ready to go. Sounds like a man that that, uh, is ready for action. All right, let's get started. Um, What is an animal that lays eggs? Chickens. If you freeze water, what do you get? Ice. What are the two houses of the U.S. Congress? Uh, House of Representatives and the Senate. What children's book author wrote The Cat in the Hat? Uh, Dr. Seuss. What is the name of the tallest mountain in the world? Uh, That would be uh, Mount Everest. What New York congressman will head the Democratic Congress at the Democratic Conference in the next Congress? Oh, I just heard his name. Um, He's got a funny-sounding name. Oh, geez. Um, Oh, crying out loud. As soon as you tell me, I'll know it. Um, uh, I know Schumer's with the Senate. Um, Oh, geez. Jeffries? 
That's right. In which modern-day right. country was St. Nicholas born in? Uh, what was that? Uh, that was you're out of time. See. But it was it, you got you got hung up on um, Hakeem Jeffries, but you did really oh, well. Right. You got six right, and um, that last question: In which Thank modern you. day country was Saint Nicholas born? In the answer was uh, Turkey. He was born in Turkey. Oh, jeez! Uh, I have a, I got a mind like a steel trap. I guess it wasn't working hey, on that they, one. Hey, look, uh, Hakeem, uh, but for Hakeem Jeffries, I think you were uh, you were poised for a thousand dollars. Call again oh. next time you're eligible, Pete. Okay. All right, buddy. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. Kenneth is going to give you a consolation prize of some sort. All right. Amen. God bless. All right. Thank you. Thanks very much. So yesterday I was talking about this chaotic day. You, you ever have a day where just Everybody is busting your chops, right? So that was my day yesterday. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to get – I have to go to this one par- birthday party on Saturday, which means I can't go to this other one. And so then um, the folks at the other birthday party that I can't go to, they want me to record a video, a video, right? And it's just like I don't want to record a video. I just don't. I, I, I don't want to do it, but it's a friend of mine. It's a close friend. I have to do it. When am I going to find the time to record a video? I don't have. I don't want to do it on my phone. I got to send it. It's just. It's just too much. Like a private cameo. It's. I mean, it's too much. It's too much. And then uh, another friend of mine um, says, uh, "Hey, well, I'm going to meet so and so and so and so for drinks right near your uh, radio station. Can you come meet us before the show?" And I said, "No, I, I'm sorry. I'm way behind on working." And um, I got to get to work and I got to prepare for the show. I said, I got a lot going on here at home and I got to get to the show. And then lo and behold, this person who's also a good friend and, you know, um, my ex-girlfriend, she used to say, and I think this is one of the things that my wife would agree with her on. She used to tell me, you can get to a point where you have too many close friends. And she used to tell me, you are at that point. You have too many. Because this stuff like – and I'm starting to think maybe they're right because this person that I didn't meet for drinks yesterday, she she sends me 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 text messages in a row giving me a hard time for not meeting her. How dare you? I just wonder, what do other people do? Uh, For people that start work at 9 a.m., are they meeting friends at 7 a.m. for drinks? But And that's the equivalent for me. I mean, sorry. I can't do it. So um, anyway, I, I was very behind on the show. And I needed, uh, once I put Carmine to bed, I finally had some time to work on the show. And um, I'm working on the show and the television set is on in the background. And my wife has had it up to here with watching the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th ballots all say the same thing in the vote for House Speaker. So she said, just put on anything except um, coverage of what's going on in the House of Representatives. So uh, I see during Jeopardy yesterday that they have on a promo for Celebrity Jeopardy. Now, Celebrity Jeopardy is fun uh, because you get to see celebrities, and it's also fun because it makes you feel smart because they make the clues so easy 
especially if you're used to – you want to feel dumb, you got to watch that super-duper Tournament of Champions like when they had those uh, James Holtzauer versus Ken Jennings versus that other fella. Uh, that was – you know, those were impossible, those clues. But Celebrity Jeopardy, it's, it's kind of easy. You, kinda, you can get them all. So I said, all right, we'll put on Celebrity Jeopardy. So I'm watching Celebrity Jeopardy, and it's an hour. And uh, an hour, I've decided, is way too long for Jeopardy. Way too long. Um, they had one, only, especially when you only have one celebrity that I knew who they were. The only one that I knew was uh, Michael Sarah, who'd been on Arrested Development. And uh, I don't know the, uh, I didn't know the other two. But... I noticed that too on Celebrity Jeopardy. That did, you, I, oh, did you watch last night? I didn't watch last night, but I've watched uh, over the week, and I was like, I don't know, even know who these people are. I, oh, has it been on all week? Yeah, they, oh, they've I been doing know. it all week, and I don't know if it was repeats, but I, I know they've been doing it all week. And with Maya Bialik was hosting, right? And she did a good job. Yeah, and because they had on um, what's his name that was um, he was on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, Will Will Burton. No, Will Wheaton. Oh, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Yes. Yeah, he was on, and he was the only one I knew. I didn't know the other two people. I had no idea who they were. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I um, you know, I don't really consider myself a celebrity for obvious reasons, but I feel like I'm almost as famous as some of the people that are on this on on Celebrity Jeopardy. That's true. You know, uh, so I feel like if we get, I don't know, maybe ten or twelve more radio stations to carry this show in big markets, I feel like we could get on there because uh, these people are totally obscure. So for me. Celebrity Jeopardy is not really Celebrity Jeopardy. It's one person that I kind of know and hour-long Jeopardy with easy questions. And that's too much. So anyway, I had been enjoying the streak that we had been seeing from Ray Lalonde. um, And he lost on Tuesday. Ray Lalonde uh, from Canada has a twin brother, has a great sense of humor. He's a set designer, a really impressive um, variety of knowledge. And you know what I liked about watching the games with him is he was a likable guy, number one. But I also liked that um, that he was um, – that the games were competitive, that they weren't all blowouts. Some of them were, but most of them came down to him just winning in Final Jeopardy. And sometimes he won going away. But I like when it's still competitive – going into uh, Final Jeopardy. And uh, he finally lost on Tuesday, lost by just a couple of hundred dollars. He got the Final Jeopardy clue correct, and but for him getting a daily double wrong um, in the previous round, he would have won. He lost by, I think, $490 or something along those lines, something uh, under 500 bucks. he lost by. So Ray, Ray Lalonde was on uh, the CBC in Canada talking about losing on Jeopardy. Oh, it's been amazing. It was, you know, a lifelong dream for me to get on the show in the first place. And I thought, okay, get down there and don't embarrass yourself. And to just to do as well as I did and have as much fun as I did and meet the great people I did, uh, it's, it's better than a dream come true. So I have... Um... You know, I, I'm not smart enough to go on Jeopardy. I, I would say that I'm probably smart enough to go on Celebrity Jeopardy, but I'm not famous enough to go on Celebrity Jeopardy. So fine. Um, I have researched and spoken with a number of Jeopardy contestants about what it must be like to go on Jeopardy, where you prepare, what you do. And one of the things that all the Jeopardy contestants that I've spoken to say, one of the big challenges is, is that you have to stand the whole time. And the best way that you can train is by clicking a pen or clicking some sort of a buzzer standing while you watch the show. 
Because it is, it does take a lot of energy and effort to stand the whole time. It's not something you think about. I mean, you think about Jeopardy, you're watching, you're relaxing on your couch, chilling out, relaxing, maxing all cool. And uh, it's a very different ball game when you're standing. So Ray Lalonde, who lost Tuesday after 13 wins and a total of $386,000, he struggled to stand still on stage for a lot of that streak. So now a fellow contestant is wondering, after watching him power through his spinal issues, if future players should have the option to sit. Jessica Stevens competed on the show's um, 2022 tournament season. She didn't mince words on social media when she was talking about Ray LeGrand. Ray didn't speak about having spinal issues on stage during his streak before losing by a razor-thin margin. But according to TBS Newswatch, the reasoning behind his swaying on the screen, which I noticed, but I thought it was just kind of a tick. Like I uh, twirl the back of my hair, other people might uh, touch their face or something. I thought this was just kind of a nervous tick that he has. But according to TBS Newswatch, the reasoning behind this was more than justified. It's due to a medical ailment. So according to this Jessica Stevens... He suffered some spinal cord damage over a period of years and had to work hard to prevent muscle spasms in his legs while he was on camera. And Jeopardy! tapes five episodes in a day. And this guy, Ray, was a multi-game winner, and that means essentially standing for hours on end each session. So, of course, the contestants know this going in, but few... People can know what it's like after 10 days. So what Jessica wrote was, quote, broadly, I think Ray's case is an example of why I wish contestants had the option to sit during the game if they prefer. I can see how that change might be a complicated one for the show to introduce, but I also think it would help even the playing field. I have to confess, I'd never thought much about it, but I think she makes a good case. Should you have the option to sit during Jeopardy? And should everybody have that option? Or should it only be an option to people that have a medical issue? Or does that open the door to what we're seeing in the world of uh, of pets these days, where people are taking their pets to, on airplanes and on uh, to hotels and in casinos, and they're saying it's a service animal when clearly it's not. It's clearly a pet. What do you think? 800-848-9222. On Jeopardy, should you have the option to stand? 800-848-9222. Um, what she writes is, at the second chance competition, someone in the wardrobe had to button my shirt for me on the final show of the day because my hands were shaking so much. I promise you, if every former contestant with a story about how they or someone else in their cohort had a harder time standing than usual by the time they were on stage, it would be a very long thread. So I thought that was interesting. Um, There you have it. All right. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 800-848-9222. Also want to uh, wish a happy birthday not only to my sister Claudia, but to uh, celebrated criminal defense attorney Mario Gallucci. And to uh, Steve Nirenberg, who I went to, uh, who I went to high school with. Also, Howie Long's birthday. Speaking of uh, football, 
and sports commentator Colin Coward. It is his birthday as well. Uh, And uh, the famous first son, Eric Trump, celebrating his birthday as well. All right. 800-848-9222. Coming up a little later, we will do 15 seconds of fame. And then, uh, you know, we'll just get on with the rest of the week. We we got some interesting things coming up uh, for next week. I don't want to spoil anything for you. We do have Dr. Sky for an hour next week, which will be fun. And what I'm thinking of doing on Monday, if assuming there's still no Speaker of the House by then, I'm thinking of assembling, you know how I like to do these panels? I'm thinking of assembling a panel of former members of Congress, maybe one Democrat, maybe one um, far right-wing member, and maybe one kind of moderate Republican, and kind of just mix, take people through what it's like to be in tough vote after tough vote like this. Not that there's any precedent for where we are now. You have to go all the way back to 1859, but it certainly is, it is interesting. I was asking a friend of mine who serves in Congress a question which I haven't really heard answered yet, and I really didn't get an answer. I asked, let's say this goes on for two weeks or four weeks or five weeks or a month, and I could see it going on. See people like Matt Gates there nominating Donald Trump for speaker. I could see this going on for a while. And you remember, even if 15, 16 of these so-called Freedom Caucus people agree to back McCarthy, McCarthy can only lose four four of them. So even if Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and uh, one or two others decide they don't want to vote for McCarthy, they can delay this and delay this. Um. If this goes on for a month or two, I ask my friend, do you still get paid? If you're a member of Congress, do you get paid? Because some members of Congress are wealthy, but a lot of them aren't. And a lot of them can't deal with uh, being without a paycheck for a month or two. That's a question that I have not gotten an answer to. So there's certain questions that you really um, you really have had to be in Congress to have that perspective. So I'm working on that for uh, for Monday and I have some other Fun things going on for Monday. So when I, I did purchase my sister's um, birthday gift online, I did go to Amazon, which I hate to do, but I did it. I, and I was in such a Knives Out mode. And I recently watched Knives Out, the first one again, on Thanksgiving. And I had forgotten how integral to the plot the board game Go is. And um, it struck a... Accord with me when I rewatched it and I saw the characters playing Go because when we did our segment on artificial intelligence recently, I talked about how AI can now beat human beings in almost every game. Jeopardy, chess, checkers. The last game where humans were able to beat AI was Go. And um, I think humans still are able to beat AI or maybe that was the last one that uh, AI was able to beat them. And it looked like a fun game in the in the movie. And I remember when I talked about this, I said I was not familiar with Go. And I guess I had forgotten seeing it in the film Knives Out. So a bunch of callers called in. A couple of people emailed me and said, uh, well, what do you mean you're not familiar with Go? It's a great game. It's this. It's that. So uh, I went and ordered Go. So now we have Go in the Morano household. So the next time it rains, or the next time we're not able to go outside, uh, I am going to teach myself go 
and I'm going to try and become an expert and go. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about myself, really almost everything, I, I, I live a tortured existence. I, I am a, a slave to my own brain. But there are two games that I feel like I should be really good at. And I am just terrible. One is, is uh, Scrabble. Right? I, I consider myself a little bit of a wordsmith. I like to read. I like to do crossword puzzles. And I've only played Scrabble a handful of times. But I have to tell you, I'm terrible at it. I don't think I've ever won a game of Scrabble. And again, I've played in my entire life less than five times. So maybe it's a function of practice. But I'm always embarrassed because uh, people are expecting me to be good. It's like the character Benoit Blanc in Knives Out. Everyone expects him to be good at Clue, and he's not. And uh, that's how I feel about Scrabble. Everyone has these high expectations, and I'm just terrible. And uh, the other game that everyone thinks that I'm going to be good at is chess. My brother is a chess teacher, and he is a chess star. Brilliant. He's ranked. He's, I don't even know what else is going on in the world of chess. And he, uh, he, I taught him how to play chess when he was, I think, five. But since then, you know, he, I haven't been able to even be competitive. So my new brother-in-law, no, excuse me, my new co-brother-in-law, my sister-in-law Deborah's uh, new husband, Simka, he's a chess player. So my wife and I got him a, a chess set for Hanukkah. And so they came over last week, and Simka says, hey, do you want to play a game? And I, and I tell him, I'll play, but I'm really not very good. And he says, that's okay. I'm not good either. We'll have some fun. And... Um, I'm telling you, I know how the pieces move, but I don't know strategy or anything. And it would keep happening where I would make a bizarre move and he would say, why did you do that? And sure enough, I have no explanation. I said, Simka, I told you, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's the kind of thing I I feel like people are always, they always have these high expectations of me and chess and Scrabble. Now, Trivial Pursuit, I can hold my own. Um, Craps, you know, that's mostly a game of champs, but I'd like to think. I can hold my own. But I'm determined to become an expert in Go because it looks fun when I saw Christopher Plummer play it. So I'm hoping to, hoping to, you know, get decent at it. All right. Bob is in Connecticut. Hello, Bob. Hello, Frank. Hey, for Carmine, first, first watch the movie Stigmata. Then, instead of going to church, every, listen to the Rev and the Rabbi every Sunday. All right, I well, make sure I hear every Sunday I listen to the Rev and the Rabbi. Yeah, well, it's a great show. I, I listen to it as well. I'm not sure it's the same as actually going to a religious service, but in the absence of a better idea, maybe we'll have to uh, maybe we'll have to go with that. Oh, you know, that was the other thing. I got a lot of good suggestions here on the ants situation. If you if you didn't hear about this, uh, we have a bathroom that's being overrun with ants. And I really do think these traps that I put out, which are supposed to be safe, where they take the bait and it goes back, they go back to the colony and they kill the queen. I think it's going well. And I'm listening to these uh, naysayers in the Facebook group, and that's okay. And uh, they're mocking how boring the subjects that I bring up are. Meanwhile, I don't think they're that boring because people are responding. And uh, one fella who is ostensibly a fan of this show, he's defending me by saying, well, I think that I, that was just a throwaway at the end of the show to fill time. Let me tell you something. I'm not doing anything to fill time. If there's anything, I, I need more time. Uh, everything is absolutely strategically conceptualized to 
to stroke different parts of your brain. So nothing's done to kill time. Nothing. So I would have thought somebody that was a big listener to the show like that fellow was would know that. Nothing's done to kill time. Everything's strategic. All right. 800-848-9222. The next time you see me, hopefully, I will be a master at the board game Go. We'll see. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit uh, where you can be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. And if you ever want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. I have a bunch of anti-vax people sending me article after article, which is just wonderful. Now, thank you. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, this particular song by uh, Stevie G and the Attached Documents. Uh, this song's available on iTunes. Just search uh, The Other Side of Midnight. And uh, really a well-done song. Uh, all of the Claudia Annunziata Murano um, song selections are posted in the Facebook group. Uh, just go on Facebook and search Murano Radio Fans and Haters. Uh, without further ado, it is time for 15 seconds. That's where you get to be heard for 15 seconds, just as these individuals do. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike! Morning, Frank. In regard to today's music selections, sounded more like Club Curtis. Although Valari was good, maybe next year for your sister's birthday, you could pay for her trip to Disney instead. Thank you. Mike. Hey, morning, Frank. You know, uh, I had many conversations with Bernie on the boardwalk of Long Beach. I'm going there 60 years. And one conversation in particular, I said to him, you know, Bernie, um, I'd, I'd like to get a mute button on my radio because your partner, I don't care if a narcissistic self-absorbed people, and Sidney Rosenbaum, Rosenberg, is like Howard, wants to be Howard Stern. You know, you don't want to be Howard Stern. Neil. Your New Year's Eve Eve newsletter was so long. I just finished reading it tonight. I'm sorry, Frank, but I won't be able to attend. (laughs) Ray. Mike, you're right. Enough for the hard left, hard left, hard left. Hey, Frank, did you find your keys? Go, Curtis. Go, Curtis. Go, Curtis. Not yet, unfortunately. Ray, if you haven't realized all this time you've been on this earth that God has placed all the cures for every disease in nature, then it is you who is naive, not I. But thanks for the cheap shot. 
David. Yeah, electric cars are so quiet that blind people like myself can't hear them. Why can't they put something in there so that it, they make noise? Thank you. Anthony. Hey, what's going on? I wanted to make a referral. You were talking about board games before. Uh, Rummy Q. I don't know if you ever played it. It's an awesome game. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's a card game. Awesome though, right? game. No, it's like, yeah, basically number sequences, yeah. uh, you know, and you have like these dominoes yeah. and you match them up. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's ever. a good one, Anthony. Joe. Hey, Frank, have a great weekend and a shout out to Frankie from Glendale. Uh, oh, finally, uh, we'll end with my co-brother-in-law, James. Hello, James. Good morning, Frank, or possibly good night since you get to go to bed now. Sharon's here too, but I think she has to say hello. I just know. wanted to uh, say hello, and uh, that's it. Uh, you guys got to call earlier next time. We'll have a more substantive I, conversation. I, I, woke up, I, I woke up early. All right. I, hey, uh, ha, good luck to Sharon with her baby shower this weekend. I will see both of you sooner rather than later, all right? All right. Very all right, good. Have friend. a good weekend. All right. Well, that's just nice. The pecans calling in. That's always nice to hear. Great people. All right. Uh, without further ado, Frank Moreno, good day.